What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Big Honker Podcast. Be sure to go to iTunes, leave us some reviews. Hunting season is getting close. Getting close. August is winding down. Yeah, it's hard to believe you're talking about hunting when your ball's sweating hot outside. But we're almost there. Yep. And if you're still looking for that great hunt this fall and winter, look no further. Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Come with us. www.stanfieldhunting.com. Got take care of you on anything you want. Uh, waterfowl, dove, duck, hog, pheasant, deer. You name it, we can take you up and put, put you on the birds, the animal, whatever you want to do. Holler at us. we got some specials. I'm going to have some October pheasant and dove specials. Come in, $250, do an afternoon dove hunt, spend the night, breakfast, next morning do a pheasant hunt for $250. And that's a four-gun minimum on that hunt. I can do that in September and October. I've got some dates left in November, not a lot for waterfowl hunting. I can do some duck hunt still in Texas and in Oklahoma. So anyways, look us up at stanfieldhunting.com, and that's 940-658-3172. Thank you. Well, you even ended with a little thank you. How I'm nice. Trying to change my ways, Andy. This podcast is also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industry. The best. The best silhouettes on the market. Got the new skinny shirt. That's right. That's a good looking t-shirt. Good looking hashtag. They've, been have, they've, uh, they've had that in the bag for quite a while. Um, can't say enough about Dive Bomb. They're what we use every day. Seven days a week. They pass the torture test. Rain, snow, sleet, mud, whatever. Doesn't matter. Uh, the stake system is just the greatest. The bags, they pack up. Can't say enough about them. They're kicking ass is what they're doing. Go to divebombindustries.com. Go with the numbers this year, guys. Big numbers of decoys means more birds in your bag. Divebombindustries.com. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Only takes one. It only takes one. They're changing the game. Business is back in style. Everybody's coming out with their own bismuth line, but remember that the guys at Boss brought it to you first, and they made it better, quite frankly. All made in America, Brandon Sarecki and the guys over there. I shouldn't say guys because Meg's over there. Kicking ass, taking names. They had a great, great weekend at, at uh, Game Fair, I saw. Absolutely great. Uh, only takes one, like Jeff said. They're copper plating all of their BBs. Holds a denser pattern. More BBs on target. No shotgun shell boxes either. That's right. That's right. They're just innovative. Innovative is the word. Go to BossShotShells.com or call them. You might not get off the phone with them because they can talk. They know their shit. But uh, get your shotgun shells for this year because it's coming up quickly. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. Best spinners on the market. Waterproof. Yeah, you can't shoot field mallards without some spinners. Lucky Duck's the way to go. And if you're shooting field mileage, you know, not a whole lot of water, which is even better. But, yeah, go to uh, LuckyDuck.com, get all of the spinners. The more spinners, the better. Like Jeff said, if you're hunting those field mallards or field ducks, you need at least a half a dozen spinners. Lucky Duck can hook you up. LuckyDuck.com, the way to go. We're also brought to you by 737. The boys in Oklahoma making that duck call just sweet, sweet sound. Direct to your door. No more big box stores or anything like that. You go straight to them. They send you a duck call the next day. Color combos, all kinds. They can etch what you want on there. They got logos they can put on there. They'll take care of you. I blow the old number one. Not right there. Should be enough for everybody else. <laughs> what, what's that? Little, hmm, Endorsed four. by Jeff. That's right. Se- 737 duck calls. You can pick out what you want. Only call I've ever endorsed. That's right. Only ever. company that would ever let me endorse their call. It really, <laughs> it really is. But yeah, 737duckcalls.com, and they can get it out to you 
great customer service. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. All of our guys, all of our sponsors, folks, great customer service will take care of you. Every one of them. Uh, we're also brought to you by Sea Light LEDs. There's no more sense. There's no sense at all to set a decoy spread out in the dark. Modern technology, put, the, put these lights everywhere. Put them on your truck, on your trailer. Light it up. Turn that switch on and light that puppy up. That way you can see exactly what you're doing. No more. That's the, you know, that's the number one cause of breaking your decoys is tripping over them. Turn on those lights. You're saving decoys that way. Think of it that way. Saving your investment. SeaLightLEDs.com. They're what we use. Put them on your trailer, folks. There ain't nothing worse than having a bunch of guys with headlamps blinding each other. Set up on the, the trailer. They're up in the air a little bit. It shines down on like being in a football stadium. And this show is also brought to you by Athlon Optics, also a U.S. made. Athlon Optics is a proud U.S. sports optic product company devoted to designing and delivering superior quality optic products and outdoor accessories at a competitive price to you, the consumer. Athlon has strong engineering design capability, strategic alliances with quality manufacturers, and a streamlined, fully integrated supply chain. Whether you're shooting prairie dogs or scouting those geese or ducks the night before, Athlon Optics has a product that you need. So go to athlonoptics.com, get your binoculars, get your scopes. They've also got red dot sights. They got it all. If you need to look through it so you can shoot something or find something, Athlon Optics is the way to go. Last but not least, we're brought to you by William and Chris Wines. Texas wine. Good wine. I like wine. WilliamandChrisWines.com and pick whatever, you know, whatever Chris has got made at the time. You can pick it. He'll ship it to you. They're the best. I love it. Good Texas wine. Or if you're at HEB, Whole Foods, Central Market, any of those types of places, you can find it there. But yeah, WilliamandChrisWines.com. Great stuff if you're a wine drinker. Even if you're not a wine drinker, it can turn you into a wine drinker. WilliamandChrisWines.com. All right, you people have been asking for it, so here he is, the Texas legend himself, Wyman Menzer. He's phenomenal. Phenomenal. All of his stories are just so incredible, so interesting. He's been everywhere. He's done everything. He's the most interesting man in the world is what he is. So, I mean, just give it up for the man. Here he is, Wyman Menzer. Ready there, Jefferson? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver, and once again, we got the Texas treasure, <laughs> national treasure, <laughs> well, Sir Wyman Menzer. Good to be here, guys. Thank you for having me. So what's been going on in the summer for Wyman Menzer? Uh, the heat. The heat. Uh, been doing some shooting. Um, um, Selinda and I are into the real estate thing now. We've got a real estate license, a farm and ranch worth of Middleton and Sons. And so I've been doing some, uh, some photography of, of real estate um, um, holdings. And um, that's, that's pretty well it, really. 
Now, you don't seem like the kind of guy that would be a, a hard salesman. Well, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not, but Celinda is. Celinda's real good at real good. Really? Yeah, she's real good. I, I mean, I've got a lot of connections. And, uh, in fact, we, we visited a property yesterday. We just, we just got our cards, our business cards. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we, got a, we got to go visit and show a, a property yesterday that might, that might sell. How was that experience? Well, you know, I mean, I've shot so many and mm-hmm. been around some of that stuff going on. You know, it wasn't anything unusual, but it was uh, it was kind of different in that I was we were a part of it now. Right. And so I didn't have my camera. I didn't have to shoot photographs. So I wasn't worried about the light. It was just mainly uh, talking about the land, mm-hmm. you know, and the potential, you know, and uh, uh, it was on a nice uh, live water creek possibilities of dove hunting and and things like that that were very positive so you just kind of go through that and talk to him about it so you're you remind me of lewis henderson our insurance agent he he don't he don't sell you insurance you buy insurance from him yeah he don't ever try to sell you nothing you don't need or what you just you i call him up and he's easy he's easy what he does but he's the kind of guy you buy stuff from right instead of selling something that's the way you are i can see someone listening to you about it and you're like you know here it is and blah blah blah. I, yeah, I'm just not pushy about right. about thing about anything. Yeah, you know if if you if you want it fine. If you don't, well that's that's just the way it is. Yep. And so, uh, but if it's, and I'll be totally honest about it, as will Celinda. Of course, you have to be. Right. And um, and so if it's got positive um, uh, aspects about it, well I want them to know about it. And if it has some some bad stuff, well I'll tell that also. I don't want I want I want to be able to walk away thinking. I did right, right by this deal. Well, there ain't gonna make no more dirt than there is. So nope. if you want some, you better get you, you better some. Better get it, better get it now. And there's a lot of people out there looking. Yeah, and that's that's a bonus for you. Like you just tell it as yes. it is, and if you don't want it, fine. Yes. Phone will ring again. Right. Right. It's no problem. Yep. So when you're photographing land, is it light that showcases everything? Is that are you waiting still, for that, it's that still time light. of day? It's still light. Uh, I, I photographed two places the other day, uh, actually last week, uh, Paradise and Bridgeport. And uh, we started late in the evening and then early the next morning. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful, beautiful. Of course, that country has a nice look to it with some valleys and uh, some timber and some creek systems. And so uh, I shot both video and stills and so you're still going for the light just like i'd be shooting for a magazine story right i go for the light it's all about the it's all about the light and the color well picture sales michelle's got her real estate agent she don't she don't do it very hard at all she never yeah. has but that's what sells because i'll see pictures of places and i'll be like wow where's that at and we'll go look at the property and i thought well it don't look nothing like that picture <laughs> yeah. <does>. picture sells <laughs> yeah it does so do you try to find just a couple landmarks uh, something unique about the property and then wait for the correct lighting and then and then yeah. really hammer yeah. that home um if it's a really big place mm-hmm. say for instance if it maybe you know if it's 20 30,000 acres then you want to be able to isolate you want to go there and, and whoever's whomever might be showing you the place you just say show me the best right the very best what you think is, is fantastic about this location because you know you've only got a couple of days to shoot it right <clears throat> if it's a smaller place it's pretty easy to find you know the really great great locations yeah but uh, you know creek systems and uh and any water source uh good habitat because most of the land is being sold now for for hunting purposes right you know somebody get out get away from the city and uh, get it just get out of town that's the man i'm jealous of the guy that can buy 20 or thirty thousand acres oh man to just be a recreational place oh man i know i know there's 
Some people out there that's made it. <laughs> oh, they have. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not that guy either. But but, those... but I have been to those places. <laughs> yes. I have seen those places. Yeah. All the ranches that I've been on throughout my life, you know, from Wyoming to to the Boone Pickenses to the Wagner, the 460, the Pitchfork, I know good country. Yeah. I know it when I see it. Right. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, hopefully that's the kind of country I can – I can be working with people on. And that, that's the beautiful stuff. Even just out here, the 246 Ranch, right uh-huh. out here. I photographed that. I saw the video. I guess it was pictures that you did. Yes. Anthony Ainsworth had some pictures up on Facebook the other day of yep. the rock work and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that guy took that ranch, which was a neat place, rough mm-hmm. country, mm-hmm. and they built this big, beautiful house around the pond, and they got all the rock work and mm-hmm. stuff. And I thought, that's living right there. When you can go buy you. That's right. What's that place? Maybe 3,000 acres? Ah, twenty four hundred something like yeah, that. Yeah, and and but they, but they've built their own paradise. That's right. And I thought, you know, that's right. awesome. And then and then the guy that owns that is like, God, I wish I could buy a ten thousand acre place like this. And right. the guy's got ten thousand, wants twenty. That's right. And then you get up to the big boys that you were talking about, yeah, like the Boone Pickens. Yeah, he's got all the money in the world, and he built him his place that he wanted. Yes. And I photographed the whole process of him building that Boone Pickenses. That's Country. crazy. Really, the whole process. Oh yeah, I was there from when they first started. Up until almost the very end. Three years I photographed it there. Wow. For Boone Pickens. Yeah. And he was a quail lover, so he built his around quail, correct? It's around quail. All See, right. I'm a waterfowl guy, so my dream would to have a place in Nebraska or North Dakota and to put me in cornfields. He and has tons of good waterfowl because he created he created wetlands mm-hmm. along that creek, uh, I think called Chicken Creek maybe. And then he built his own creek called Boone's Creek. I was there that day, and I saw the crane working. I said, what's going on over there? And they said, <laughs> we're building – Boone's Creek. Oh, okay. And <laughs> so, you go there now, and it's just like there's big, you know, span, expansive areas of water, lots of cattails, ducks. You know, it's a really good habitat. Does a man like him that's a billionaire, do you see the stress when they have stress days, or is every day a good day to them? Oh, you know, I spent a lot of time around him. Uh, you know, he he was a uh, hard-driving guy. You know, there's um, – most of those people are yes. like that. I mean, they – you you can just their personality the the moment you shake hands with them you realize that those guys don't stand around right yeah and they're always aware of what's going on you know stock market uh, after lunch when they're when you're resting everybody's watching the stock market you know it's 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 kind of to me it would be very stressful to them perhaps it's not well, but I, I got to just be out just having fun yeah shooting pictures or looking for potential areas for photographs. It's like when I was there shooting for Boom, uh, he would have some of his guys uh, from the office, and we'd be sitting at a table like this, except larger, and the whole time he would be asking them questions, business questions, Mm -hmm. at dinner, which to me would be very stressful. I'd I'd sit around a table and just BS with people. And then when it's over, you know, he would say, okay, you do this, you do this, this. Why and what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go look for photographs. And he said, okay, we'll see you tonight. I said, okay. <laughs> That's the way I like to work. Right. He wasn't going to bother you. He's going to let no, you do your job. No. He, he, knew, he knew that I knew what I wanted and I needed, and I was just going to go search these places out. And, uh, and so he just said, we'll see you tonight. See, I think those guys have immense stress. You know, Jeff. Jeff just thinks, you know, okay, they got all the money in the world. Their problem, they oh, don't have but, a problem in the world. Right. That part is true. But right. they... They're flat that, out from the time they wake up to the time they go yes, to bed. 
I don't know. How and you, I agree. And I agree with that. I mean, I mean, they seem to be having fun what they're doing, right. but I think there is a lot of stress involved because because they're dealing with with so much money. Yes. And uh, you and, flub and, on and, a deal and, at their level, and it's millions. Right. So much overhead. I mean, I forgot how much it is, but it's a lot of money upkeep on these big outfits like Boone's. They, I don't think they they know how to relax. I think they have the things, but it, but the guy I feel sorry for was that guy that's sitting at that table with you. Mm-hmm. Oh, because yeah. that guy's <laughs> under all kinds of pressure because Absolutely. he's up to his eyeballs in debt probably, and right. he knows if he says one thing wrong or does one thing wrong, he's off, and the next guy's going to be sitting in his seat. That's right. That's, no. that's I, I felt the same way. I mean, I was just sitting there eating, trying to be quiet, and hoping, God, he didn't ask me a question. And he did one day ask me something. I said, Boone, I really don't know. And that's it. I just kept eating. Is that an acceptable answer to a guy like T. Boone Pickens? Like, I, he just I, grins. I, he just grins. I think they know who to, they can do. He probably knows that, you know what, Wyman Menzer loves what yeah. he does, and he don't go to work anytime. You probably don't go a day that you go to work. Well, you go do something you enjoy doing. Well, I, I got to tell you, whenever I do a shoot, there is stress because I want to produce the best pop- possible photographs with the time frame that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. I want to do the best I can possibly do, and if I don't, if I don't achieve those ends, I get stressed out. Yeah. Whenever I drive, like uh, Thursday uh, afternoon, I'll be going over to uh, uh, Weatherford, and I've got a thousand-acre place to shoot over there, and and I'm going to be stressed until I get that first. Uh, eight or ten photographs that I feel good about, I'm stressed out. But it's I'm, not. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm looking. I'm going. Okay, let's go over here. Dang it! The, you know the light's not right for this spot. We got to come back in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. It, it, then all, then I hit a certain level and I go. Okay, everything is cool. I'm going to make it. I'm going right. to do it right. But do you feel like you're at work? I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I'm at work because that's my profession. Right. But but it's fun work. That's the difference. See? It's it's all fun. A guy crunching numbers, there's, that can't be fun for nobody. It wouldn't be for me. I don't know anybody that could enjoy that. To be a, sure in there's a, room there's a lot of people do it, but I, I, it yeah. wouldn't be fun for but me. But how many of them actually enjoy it? I don't know. I think a lot of them are trapped in by having to pay bills, and that's what pays their bills, than actually Possibly doing something so. that you want to do. Because you never hear about somebody retiring to be accountant. Ever. <laughs> no. Lots never, of guys retire yeah. to pick up photography, don't yeah. they? That's right. Pick up a camera and go yeah. take pictures. No. Other wealthy man that you're for, powerful man, you're friends with George W., most powerful, one of the most yep. powerful men in the world. Right. Can you talk about his painting? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, I was there whenever he was taking lessons, and then I, we were there um, back in late May or sometime and shooting some stuff from Mrs. Bush. And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, he, he's, he's pretty darn good. He really, he's really, I've seen some, some he, of his work. He's, uh, he's, he's really um, uh, broadened his strokes. It's not that real detailed stuff. It's more like Manfred Schatz, uh, the German artist that, that does wolves and things. Uh, Ken Carlson type look. Um, and I like that. I don't like that real detailed stuff where you, you, know, you see every blade of grass. Yeah. And so he uses a, a lot of broad strokes and, uh, and uh, does a good job. Do you think that's his escape from? I think so. I don't. I, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he took us into his, into his, uh, uh, his work area, and we looked at all of his paintings that he was working on, and past paintings, and went over to his office, and he showed us some over there, and uh, he loves it. Absolutely loves it. It's that creative outlet. That's how you can tell that you're close with somebody is when they show you something like that. Like if I wasn't, if if I was just picking up painting, I wouldn't show Wyman Menzer a no. painting of mine. <laughs> Well, I, I, I mean, I wouldn't show anybody a painting yeah, of mine. Yeah. I mean, unless I was truly, truly close right. to where 
I mean, yeah. I, I wouldn't open myself up for them to be like, oh, that's stupid. Right. Why right. would you paint that? He, he, he was, uh, he really, really opened up to us and, and showed us everything and took us into the, into the interior, you know, of his, of his, uh, his workspace. Did you see recently that the Clinton News Network is making a big deal about Trump not aging? They've showed all the past presidents <laughs> of how, how young they look when they took well, office. Well, you know, Trump likes to fight. Yeah. You know, if you like what you're doing, you don't age. He don't work. He don't go a day to work. No. If his day. and even if he wasn't president, he loves stirring up shit loves, and doing that, he, what he does. He loves. He loves to fight, but and and he loves that confrontation. And the more they pick at him, that makes his day. That's that's the CNN's newest barb at Trump is look at how he does not take this job seriously. He doesn't look any different from the time he took office to right now. Of course, they're going to use anything against him. But the guy, can he can box now. Yep, he can. Back to Georgia W. Here's a man that I think him and Obama and Clinton, when they were done with the president, they were done. Mm -hmm. They were happy when they Mm -hmm. were finished. They they probably, at year six, were wishing it was year eight. They were Mm -hmm. ready to be done. They've done their time. Mm -hmm. He doesn't miss. I I doubt President Bush misses being president at all. I don't. You know, I don't. I would say probably so. And I think Obama <laughs> is glad he's out of that too. <laughs> yeah. Donald Trump with a lot of other people is yeah. <laughs> when on day when on his last day, he's gonna probably cry because he's probably sick. There ain't nothing else for him to do. He's already pinnacle of everything he's done. That's right. There ain't nothing he can I do agree. to top that. He's gonna have a hard time because he's not the retiring type. I agree, he's not. He's not gonna go off and paint. Right. No. Or, or, or travel because he didn't travel before. Making deals is what he does. It, I mean it's just And like this China forever. deal he's just come up with. Yeah. That's incredible. Uh-huh. You know, who's done it before? Yep. I mean, they've picked on us for all these decades, yeah. and all of a sudden he's got them like going, hey, man, let's talk. Right. That's fantastic. Yep. 20 years they've taken advantage of us, and he's going to change that. That's right. And we're going to own Greenland. If he's in office for <laughs> if he's in office for six more years, because that's something nobody else has ever done. Yeah. When he well. when he's out of the office, he can say, we bought Greenland. When's the last time he built? We hadn't bought well. land here since Louisiana Purchase. Man, I don't know if I'd want Greenland, but you know, barren wasteland, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? Yeah. My, Payne, our youngest son, is in the is in the army, and he told me the other day. I said something about it. He goes, "That's not a good idea." I said, "Why?" He goes, "It sounds to me just like another barren outpost to put a military base." I, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Tough country, but that's good. so. Bush is a painter, and that, that's yeah. And and he seems like a guy that doesn't have a bad day ever. He seems pretty easy going. He's guy. really upbeat all the time, at least the times that we have been around him. Right. You know, it's uh, whether it's lunch, dinner at night. You know, he cuts up. Just, just a, just a great guy. Every, everybody I know that knows him, and I've got some yeah. mutual. We've got some guys that hunt with us or good have known him since childhood, and mm-hmm. they say he's just easy going. They yeah. say what you see on TV is what you get with the president, yeah. and that's the same with the president we have now. Yeah. What you see is what you get. Yeah. And mi- and Mrs. Bush. Uh, she, of course, she she told me last time I uh, I talked to her. She said, "Call me Laura," which <laughs> I found that very hard to do. Sure, I always called her Mrs. Bush and and Mr. President. Mm-hmm. And right before I left, she said, "Call me Laura," and I said, "Yes, ma'am. Yes, yes Laura. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yes, Mrs. Bush. <laughs> yeah. She is the quis- 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 quintessential. quintessential first lady. She is. When you think of when you think of first ladies in history, you th- and when you think of someone like it, you think yeah. of her. Yeah, classy. Right, uh, knows her knows when to speak, not to speak. Don't ever stray. And, and, and Melania Trump is a good one too. Absolutely, she's a very classy lady. I do agree. But but Miss Miss Trump is, I mean Miss Trump, Miss Miss Bush is just like the lady that your yeah. friend's mom that you thought was so cool. That's right. her. That's, that's a real lady. That's her. And and she and she's sort of a, a leveling factor 
for for, for him. President Bush as well. Yeah. You know, she kind of she's if he really gets to cutting up, she's the one that's going to go, <laughs> hey, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah. Now it's a question whether he listens or not. Right. You know, but generally he does. What what, <laughs> a, what an interesting deal. I, I couldn't imagine knowing everything that he knows. I mean, just well, I mean, to hear him talk about you know the various uh, leaders he's dealt with. Yeah. You know, just to sit uh, after dinner uh, with a, with a glass of wine. Uh-huh. And of course, he doesn't drink. Right. He, you know, he's he's Reco- uh, alcoholic. You know, he? he's he's just got an addictive personality. Right. Like some people do. Yeah. But he drank some non-alcoholic beverage, but but uh, he has good wine and uh, appreciate that. But but we have good conversations after dinner. And he'll talk about various uh, world leaders and and uh, you know his association with them over the years and interaction and it's real interesting, mm-hmm. very interesting, very enlightening. Yeah, I mean, who do you get talked to that has those kind of yeah, like everything that you've ever wondered about this country? Right, he knows. He knows. That's just it's it's, it's fascinating it, to think it is. And the people he grew up around. I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. like 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 Trump's a wealthy guy and he's been around some world leaders because of business, uh-huh. but. George W.'s dad was president, so mm-hmm. he was around Ronald Reagan. You're right. You know, yeah. and, and, and everybody. I, I, was only, I was only around Mr. Bush one time, and we were at a, at a book signing. Actually, it was a um, book festival in Austin, and that's whenever uh, uh, George W. was the governor. And, um, and we were having – all these authors were having dinner – or having breakfast at the, at the governor's mansion – and Selena and I went into a room and just kind of squatted down to eat in a corner to just kind of get away from the crowd. And then uh, George H. came into the room through a side door. And the first thing he did, he walked over and shook her hands and said, uh, Laura sure knows how to throw a party, doesn't she? <laughs> and I said, yes, sir, she does. And then he, that last, that first, it. last time I ever saw him in, in real life. Just, and he just, was very well liked also. Great guy, great guy. Would have been a two-term president. Bill Clinton would have never been president if it wasn't for Atros Pro. I know. I agree. I never would have had Bill Clinton in our life. Yeah, yeah. He'd have come back around. He'd have come back around. Clinton's I, always seemed to recirculate. Just, yeah, Chelsea yeah. will be running here in another 20 years or something. No. We haven't seen the last of the Clintons, the, I have no uh, feeling. Uh, the Clintons are done. They're, they're, they've, they're, I, you know what? I really think – I think they may be done. Yeah, they, they, they've got way too – Bill, they've, they have no – They pull too many stunts. Yes, they have – and this, probably Epstein. This Epstein Epstein's. deal is what's just insane. That is crazy stuff, there, man. We've got a we've got a friend that's in the know, and uh, won't mention his name here, but he says he's still alive. Really? Mm-hmm. And this uh, guy's in the know, a big time. Now, he, now we're gonna probably have him checking checking us. I already got a sick feeling in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> but he he thinks that they, they that they pulled a switcheroo on him. Really. I, my my uh, thing is who knows who knows? knows but but what I t- what I we were talking about the other day, either way, if he if he committed if he killed himself if he's dead or if he's alive I think he had help either way. I really feel like he did. I, I mean, I man, I'm I'm you just, think I'm all just the a star- peon out right. here in yeah, the brush, yeah, yeah. you know. But just a gut feeling is you know how did he pull that off without all these guards not right. knowing. And you had to have all this surveillance, and all of a sudden everybody was asleep. Sure. Or looking the other direction. I'm sorry. Gone. Something's wrong. Something's and, wrong. And I saw something about the, the bed sheets are supposed to be where like they paper. break away. Right. right. You know, if anything like that happens. So yeah. for all the stars to have a line like they did, yeah. I think he had help yeah. one way or the other. If he's dead, I think he had help. If he's alive, obviously he had help. Yeah. But Well, with, with what went on with this, with this FBI stuff, uh, you know, the deep state and— 
We have no idea. No. The uh, the undercurrents out there. No. We're I've not. watched House of Cards, so I have a pretty good. Yeah, I saw some of that, man. Have, have you watched it? Yes, I That's have. That's Bill Clinton's life. I know it. I and, agree. And, and, and I'm going to tell you what, the stuff they pulled on that show, TV and reality – run parallel in a lot of things yeah. now a lot of things they don't but right. there's a lot of things they do and i think that's really how washington is i do too so if he's alive i wouldn't be surprised yeah. this deal with the prince over in uh prince andrew or harry or whatever oh, yeah, yeah. Him, yeah. and supposedly he's on suicide watch and all this stuff oh, going on also <laughs> and but here, here's the thing with that is people are like oh the clintons are gonna do it. The clintons ain't gonna screw with the royal family uh-huh. the royal family had princess die killed they've been around for yeah. thousands of years running shit yeah yeah Clintons ain't screwing with them, yeah. so they're not going to go have him knocked off. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like knocking the Rothschilds off or something. Yeah. I mean, they're big. That's big, yeah. big time. But you don't think it was the paparazzi? That what? That the killed Princess Diana? Mm-hmm. No. Then they say it was the bulb. Fl- I was a kid when it happened. Then they say the bulb flashing caused. I, the I heard it's just cars, you know, running up on yeah. them and, and causing them to veer left and right, and then right. they they crashed. What, what's what's Queen Elizabeth's husband's name? Prince, uh, I don't know. Charles is the only I don't one I know. Pay attention the to dad, the, the, the prince, Queen Elizabeth's husband, whoever yeah. he is, I can't remember his name. <clears throat> prince Philip, maybe? Maybe it's Philip. Sure, we'll yeah. go with Philip. He is a ruthless man. Yeah. And I would I know. think he's the one that killed Diane. Yeah. There's some stuff I read about the Kennedys that they, they he's a pretty vile guy. Yeah. But the, the, I would It's know. another family, just, I mean, they're like the Kennedy family. Mm hmm. Too much power, too long. All that money, all that stuff, they think they're, they're bulletproof. And so if you mess with them, they're just going to, they just exterminate you. To, you, you imagine life if, if you could go through life and just exterminate people that were a problem. <laughs> you know, I don't have that kind of, I don't have that <laughs> don't kind have, of soul. No, yeah, me, me neither. But, I don't. but imagine thinking that way. I know. Anybody be, that ever wronged bad. you. That's yes. just terrible. But that's what them, them people do, though. I just can't fathom it. No. I mean, you, how, how do they I mean, sleep I don't at like night? people. I don't like some people. There right. are people in this world I don't care for, but I certainly wouldn't want to take that attitude. No, just to have him wiped off the no, face of the not, earth. Not I mean, why would? No. Yeah, like Juan Williams on Fox News. I think Dad would wipe him out if he could. <laughs> but an elevator ride between yeah, them two would be name really for, I interesting. Name for him, I won't say it here. Yeah. <laughs> Educated idiot. We'll just go yeah, with that. Yeah. How much do you think that any of his is just a shtick? Like he's got to be. It is. I think so too. Like I there's think, some stances he takes. I'm like, no reasonable person exactly would right. ever. I think do that. they say this is the direction you're going to come from right. tonight. You've Whether got you like it or not, you're yeah. going to have to argue this. I'm going, I couldn't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> i got to feel it in my heart. Right. Yeah. His son worked for. His son's a Republican. Yes, and worked for maybe Mitch McConnell or somebody that's in the news right now. Big something's going on with, and I can't remember who it was. Yeah. But he worked for him I'll be for a long time. Yeah. His sons are all conservatives. He's got two yeah. boys are both conservatives. Both Trump lovers worked happen? in the Republican Party. I, they've got to happen? go home and think, boy, dad's dumb. <laughs> Have you seen his wife, though? His wife got blue hair, or huh? purple hair. Well, that says it right there. Yeah. One's I wife? saw them. Uh, he, w- he was bragging about, well, no, it was on the five. <clears throat> he had gone somewhere, gone to, like, Yosemite or something, and it showed a picture of his wife. She's got, like, purple hair or something. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't know how they threw two Republican sons or two conservative sons. Yeah. Maybe but, they just uh, got sick of it all. They, they <laughs> might have. Like, Mom and Dad are just nutcases. <laughs> yeah. we got to hear the other side to this. <laughs> Okay, I mean, I couldn't imagine. It's hot. I got a couple questions I'm going to visit with you about. You're the historian, the best historian I know for the state of Texas. How did the Indians survive summers in Texas like this? Was this hot? They they travel north. So our Indians here would go. How far north do they go? They would go up into uh, along the Canadian and up into Kansas. 
Yeah, they they did. So they a migrated. Lot. They did up. A lot of migrating. You bet you. They were like the buffalo. Right. They just followed. You know, in the them. summertime, the buffalo headed uh, headed north and went up into Kansas, and then uh, once fall and winter set in, well, they headed south and traveled all the way to the Concho. Generally, that was about approximately as far south as he went before they turned around and they headed back north. So the, the, the buffalo in the summertime like this in Texas, you weren't going to find buffalo here probably? No. Uh, Kendall's, and Kendall and uh, Falconer's notes and Gallagher's notes of 1841, when they came through Knox County on August the 15th, uh, 13th, 14th, and 15th, actually exited on the 15th, they talked about following a great Indian trail across the Narrows east of Benjamin, mm-hmm. and there were buffalo skeletons strewn over the plains, but all of the buffalo were north. They didn't see any. Hmm. And so that was August the 14th so when they wrote that. They would go to the, the Black Kettle grasslands up that way. They, they would go to the cooler them. country, and now it's cooler, you know, uh, where it wasn't it was so desperately hot like it is today. So... In these books, I'm sure it wasn't Knox County when they mm-hmm. wrote this. No. What, what did they write? Like, how did they know this is where? Well, they they talked. Okay, uh, they talked about the the landmarks. Okay, and they you know they left Austin like in June, late June, and then passed up uh, actually through Wichita where Wichita Falls is now, and um, what's the lake that's on down river from uh, Lake Kemp? Uh, Kickapoo Diversion. 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 Passed through that country. But there wasn't no lake there then. No, no, no. But they they described the country and then the guide was, mounds. Right, right. And they would talk about uh, about um, landmarks like uh, two big red hills. Like for instance, like on the twenty second or twenty third of August, they camped what I figure is right on the outer city limits of Guthrie, because they talked about a a lone red hill. Mm-hmm. Now you get there's a, and and Mike uh, Gibson who used to to run the four sixties, he talks about that's the only good river crossing for a wagon and cattle is right there in Guthrie uh-huh. uh, historically, and so uh, when you get at that point you look back at those two red hills toward Aspermont and they look like one big red hill. Wow. And whenever and I have flown, walked, and ridden all over that country, and there are no other solitary big red hills they've That's got it. brush on they got grass on those dudes don't have anything on but rocks <laughs> and probably never have had yeah and uh then they crossed the river the next morning of course it was flooded so they had to float their wagons across and then they headed uh, up toward kittiquay i've just got through finishing uh, uh falconer's notes I, I bought a book on on uh, actually mike gibson picked it up in santa fe for me and that was very interesting because he he kept separate notes than uh, than uh, uh, Gallagher and Kendall, and say see Kendall was asleep when they crossed the Narrows east of Benjamin, but Falconer wasn't mm-hmm. or Gallagher, and so they're the ones who described the Narrows. They talked about the white sands of the Brazos to the south, and it was barely wagon, wide enough uh, landscape to accommodate the passage of their wagons. Wow, that's the way it is today. Right. Yeah. And, of course, they thought the hills they call mountains to the west were the crows, I believe. And uh, But that's uh, Buzzer Peak. Mm-hmm. And then they talked about the country to the north as they left on the 14th, the morning, uh, the 15th, the morning of the 15th, when they pulled out from where, essentially where Benjamin sits today, because they talked about camping in a beautiful dale. Now, if you get up in a plane and you fly over Benjamin, there are no dales. 
with the exception of right where the Benjamin Lake is, there's a big draw right there, and that's a convergence of a couple of big creeks. Mm -hmm. And more than likely, that's where they camped. And they talked about, Falconer talked about saddling a horse after they made an encampment and rode north into the wide, dry torrents and finding nothing but gypsum layers in the creek banks and finding unpotable water uh, that, was, uh, that was probably in the Wichita River. And then riding back to camp, and they talked. And then I believe it might have been Gallagher wrote, uh, uh, the only thing we had on the night of the 14th uh, was uh, brackish water, which was water they probably pulled up from the Wichita River, mm -hmm. heaven forbid. Now, who were Frank uh, Falconer and Gallagher for people who okay, don't? Okay, Falconer was actually from England, uh -huh. and, and he was a sort of a naturalist. Uh, a surveyor, naturalist, you know, type of a guy that, that was a very colorful writer, excellent writer. And, uh, and he was along just to observe and talk about the land. Uh, what I would love to get a hold of are his notes uh, on, uh, on the, uh, the natural fauna. But uh, those things, I think, are <laughs> you, can't, you can't find those. At least there's not enough money to buy them. Right. Right. And so, uh, but, but he talks, see, he got at Kitty Quay whenever, like, I forgot how many they were, when, by the time they got to Kitty Quay, they had already been, uh, uh, had a run in with some Kiowas and, uh, they'd killed maybe eight or 10 of, uh, of the Kennel expedition. And so when they established the, uh, what they call Camp Resolution at Kitty Quay, then 30 or 40 men rode on to New Mexico. And of course they were captured. Uh, by the territorial military, and uh, and then a couple of those guys with guides were sent back to retrieve. Told those people, okay, come ahead, come to New Mexico, you know, and then they got captured, and then everybody got thrown in the brig, and then marched from Santa Fe to Chihuahua, Mexico, and then on to Mexico City. But that's uh, a long ass. That's march. a long <laughs> way. And then of course, the the commander. Th this is what gets me, and I wrote a post on it the other day. Uh, about gun control. Mm -hmm. When they got to New Mexico and they were they were accosted, confronted by this military group, the New Mexican military wouldn't do anything to them. They were actually pretty nice to them, but they said you must put down your guns, and and if you do, we will we will give all of your belongings back, including your guns, whenever you leave New Mexico. The moment they put their guns down, they arrested them. So and after that, they force marched them to Santa Fe and to Chihuahua and Mexico, Mexico City, City and beat and shot and marched them to death. Now, was that the, the Mexican government at the time? Well, it was um, – there were so many – there's so many, oh, um, political groups in New Mexico, I, you know – I can't recall the, the head guy's name, the governor, at the time. That was 1841. But uh, I can assure you they were very cruel. Mm -hmm. uh, two of the guys, they questioned. I can't recall their names. But uh, they were asked where they come from. And one of them said, well, we're Americanas. And then the other said, no, we're Tejanos. Well, then the captain or the general or whatever or the group reached and grabbed a the button off of one of them and said, you think I'm a fool? There was a Texas 
Republic Star mm. with an eagle and marched them out and shot them. Shot them in the back of the head. Mm. For lying. Yeah. For what they saw as lying. Wow. That's some crazy stuff. It's so harsh. I mean, you I'm, know. I'm it, telling you, all you, got to, all you have to do is, is read some of this old historical stuff, and you will realize what it took for us to have what we, we do today. And I'm, to appreciate, I just I just got a book in today. It's a it's a book about uh, uh, or, an Oregon expedition in 1836 or 1838. And uh, incredible read. I've just started it, and it's like 380 pages. And it's basically a day to day journal of uh, of this author who's who went with a, a expeditionary group from Buffalo, New York, to Oregon, and he describes every day. Yeah. Oh, that'd be an awesome book. It is absolutely amazing. Well, uh, Josiah Gregg in uh, Commerce of the, of the Prairies, which was written like in 1839, and uh, I have a reprint of it. And uh, he talks about uh, the hardships they endured. And then this fellow, I believe his name is Smith, writes about being in Josiah Gregg's camp one day when Josiah Gregg, who was actually a, um, a practicing surgeon, but came, came west and southwest because of his health from the east, and he uh, uh, cut this, this guy's arm off because he had gangrene. He, got, he shot himself in the arm. Mm. And he said they, uh, they laid him down and made a quick cut, and they heated up a bolt, and he, they had a saw with teeth too wide, so they took a, uh, a file and filed the teeth more fine, <laughs> and they said they had his arm off within moments, and mm. seared over, and he said the guy within two or three weeks was ready to go. Mm. <laughs> yes. Imagine Just that. Just the, the, the grit of the people that built this country. Yes. is just, you know, Jeff went up to Plymouth Rock not too long ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, <clears throat> can't imagine sailing across the pond and then like, okay, we got to make a life here. Somehow, yeah. we got to make a life. With nothing right. there. Right. I mean, yeah. it was. And those are tough people. That, that, but they landed. They were lucky. They landed in Shangri-La. The northeast part of the United States in the wintertime is tough as hell. Yeah. But yeah. you can grow vegetables all summer. They're not going to deal with the drought. They have running water, lakes running, beautiful rivers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And they had lots of fish and lots of deals. Your ass landed at Corpus Christi, Texas. <laughs> oh, my. And tried to start a life. That's oh going to be tough. Well, what is it? Uh, what uh, Spanish group, uh, their ship sunk there. Near Corpus, uh, between Corpus and Galveston. Oh, what, what? LaSalle expedition. La, yeah, the LaSalle. I mean, they didn't last long. No, you, that, that, you, you have no chance down there. At least where they landed, yeah. you have a chance because Mother yeah. Nature, other than wintertime, is forgiving. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I've got a, uh, he's one now, but I've got a one-year-old son. And I mean, if you don't feed him breakfast, a snack before lunch, uh-huh. lunch, a snack after lunch and dinner, uh-huh. he gets quite fussy. Uh-huh. Well, he's a little chunky. Back then, babies weren't chunky. But that's—I mean, just just the the even the kids. I mean, I couldn't imagine like looking at my son like I got nothing for you right now. Yeah. yeah. And just and those just people that right there alone. Those people were amazing. I mean, that the the hardship. Uh, Josiah Gregg was a was a great writer, and uh, in his book, uh, um, um, the uh, want to talk about the was it of the prairies anyway. Um, it uh, he talks about traveling across the Panhandle along the Canadian River. Talk about running to the Pawnees. 
So the Buffalo from Buffalo, they come all the way down far enough south. No, no, this is Josiah Gregg. Okay, okay. Josiah Gregg. He was a doctor's. He was a doctor up in somewhere in the northeast, and had health issues, probably lung issues, and then came uh, west and southwest and traded along the Santa Fe Trail. And so he would go from like uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas to Santa Fe, Santa Fe to Chihuahua, down to Durango, Mexico, and then back. And and uh, and it was just incredible the hardships they endured but the but the common denominator throughout the whole book is that they talked about the ruthlessness of the people Mm -hmm. the outlaws Mm -hmm. and the marauding pawnees uh down in mexico uh the comanche the apaches and they said we always kept our weapons in full view at all times and they were never attacked except on the Canadian at night around a campfire, and the Pawnees hit them. And they were all jocular and had a big campfire, and all of a sudden the Pawnees shot into them and tried to scatter their horses. Did it but, work? But all, uh, no, they got their horses they back. Did. But uh, they put up a fight. I think they, they fought like uh, almost all night into the next day and finally fought them off. And they said they followed them a ways and, found, and could, could determine that they were actually on foot and they were on a, an, an expedition to gather horses. So that was the reason the ponies fought so hard. Right. But uh, from from Chihuahua to Durango, Mexico, uh, he said we went through brutal country with some really tough people, and he said we were never bothered because we kept our guns in full view all the time. And, you know, my biggest thing with this, you know, the Native Americans constantly, you know, it's the white man's fault, it's the white man's fault. That was the that was the times. I mean, it was kill or be killed. It Who's was. got the biggest gun? It was. Um, and I mean, it's terrible to say it, but you know, it, it just that's just the way it was back then. Yeah. You'd come over, you'd settle yeah. new land. Yeah. The Vikings did it. It's, the Vikings. There's, there's all over been, There's all. It's always been eat or, or be eaten. Indians and, were and, fighting I mean, each other them, too. They fought each other. It, it's, it was a. That and was I a, think now we're in a PC. We kind of morphed from that mentality to kind of where we are today, and yeah. that mentality is not that far in the distance. I tell you, in the olden days, in the 18th uh, or the 19th and the 18th, 17th century, it was survival of the fittest. Yes. I mean, if you lived to be an older guy, even a mid, mid, middle-aged guy, you're a tough booger. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've, you've escaped cholera, uh, you know, typhus, and, and all kinds of, uh, you know, someone trying to kill you. You were one tough cookie. And in, what saddens me is to know, after reading all this material, to see how far we've been watered down. Oh, it's, it's incredible. And, you know, I mean, I have not lived anything like those guys did. But the one thing I'm so proud of is I got to spend those years trapping coyotes mm-hmm. and living on a pitchfork ranch. And living out of that little half dugout, for three winters of my life, I got at least a small taste right. of what it must have been like. Right. Just a very small taste. And it's sweet. Uh, you know, It's sweet. The memories are sweet. Yeah, and you yeah. can't ever take them away. You can never take and them away. And the next away. generation won't have them, and the next generation right. won't. Um, I'll tell you a man that, that I have a lot of respect for, someone we don't talk about. When you think of Paul Revere, you think of him carrying the lantern, right? Uh-huh. Everybody does. Right. Do you know that he he's the one that done the copper work on the USS Constitution? No, he done that. He he he's one of the most influential men in our history. But he's not. Th- he, he I mean he's thought of as Paul Revere. Right. That's all he's thought of is carrying that lantern. Yeah. 
he is one of the most interesting men. When we were in Boston, his house is there. Mm-hmm. He was married like two or three times, has like 25 kids or something. Uh-huh. He outlived most all of his kids. He lived to be an old man. I think he lived to be 80. Or, I'm going to be way off. And yeah. We always get corrected on the podcast. But he, yeah. was, he lived to be in his 80s, I believe. Yeah. I should look Good it up. Good genes. But he, had, he was a coppersmith. Wow. And he he done the copper that was on the on old iron sides. Wow. And those men right there, we, we walked on the USS Constitution. Have you been to Boston? No. You, 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 83. No. He would live to be 83. <clears throat> yep. You would love Boston. You like history. It's uh-huh. a history town. I mean, there's a lot of history there. Uh-huh. But we walked on that USS Constitution, and the, the, the boards are 36 inches wide that they cut out of pine trees. Wow. And they cut them. And, and we, we walked on the actual ship, and they've got it there, and they've got every working part of it. You can go downstairs, upstairs. Good it's gracious. just like it was back then. And I was telling Michelle, I said, machines didn't build this. Men <laughs> with their hands built this. Right. The big old mass they've got and these big buckles of metal mm-hmm. that they had to burn and make and mm-hmm. stuff and these big ropes that they had. And I'm sure it's mm-hmm. not the same ropes that they had during the – but but yeah. still, it's a – and I was thinking – and then we, we learned about Paul Revere, and he did all that metal work. And I'm thinking, why does this guy not have a big they – they, there should be a movie called Revere just about yeah. him. Because all the things he did in history, but he done a lot of things besides just that. But yeah. he did the copper work on wow. that ship, and that ship is right there by where his house is. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. just an interesting guy, and 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 I think of, when I was there, I was thinking about that. And the USS Constitution went up and fought in the the banks that are off of Newfoundland, or, and I can't remember the name of them, but there's a famous fishing area up there, mm-hmm. and that's where we fought the British at, and they sunk that ship. Okay. And I was thinking about them guys in that ship, you know. I'm not a big. I, I'm not scared of swimming at all. I'll swim in, swim anywhere. Yeah. I don't want the idea of being in a fucking boat in the middle of the North Atlantic. <laughs> I don't want. To, I can't imagine being in the North Atlantic. No. In a storm. No. In a neither. boat made by men with no, with no no lifeboats, nothing like that, and fighting and sinking another ship out there. And I'm thinking, men, yeah. the men back then, they were, they were tough. Yeah. They and, were and, strong, mentally strong people. Yes, and and those were the first actual colonies and stuff. We're out here in what uh, we live at. There were no colonies. Yeah, I don't even. I, I want to. What's the the massacre that happened? Is it Wounded Knee that happened up in the Panhandle? What is the oh, Adobe Walls? Uh, well, Adobe Walls. No, it wasn't a massacre. That was uh, when the Indians hit the Buffalo Hunters. I think June twenty seventh, eighteen seventy four. How many people died in that? Only twenty eight. Uh, I'm sorry. About twenty five or twenty less than thirty Indians died. And only four buffalo hunters went down. But that was over the buffalo that being over the harvested, buffalo. right? That was the the, the Indians were were um, uh, pissed off that the uh, military, uh, the government was allowing buffalo hunters into their hunting grounds. See, Texas was off supposed to be off limits, but uh, Colonel Dodge realized, as just one of them did, I'm sure all of them did, realized that that it would be the buffalo hunters who would actually make the military's job much easier if he just turned his head and allowed the buffalo hunters to go into the Texas Plains because Jay Wright Moore asked him if he could. He said, "What would the, we've just come out of Texas Panhandle and we saw limitless buffalo. Uh, what would happen to us if we went over there? And he just turned his back on them and looked out the window and said, boys, if I was a buffalo hunter, I'd go where the buffalo were. They wasn't supposed to do that. And right. it pissed the Indians off. Of course, they were... They were you know, on Indian territory and reservations. And so they um, had a big, uh, big discussion, decided they were going to go in and take them out, but they didn't uh, realize the, uh, the lethality of the buffalo guns. Right. How, how, how did they find out stuff back then? That's what's always amazed me. 
they had runners. They had you know spies. Uh, they were they were squall men, you know who got they, like for instance there was one uh, there was a squall man, a white guy who married uh, an Indian woman, uh, who warned the buffalo hunters the day before the battle, and supposedly I believe it was Hanharan who had a bar. He had been told by this guy. There's going to be a raid. The Indians are going to hit you tomorrow morning at sunrise. And so you and, and the buffalo hunters were supposed to leave the next day and, and disperse out and start hunting. Well, he supposedly got up in the middle of the night and said, hey, a ridge pole's busted. And so they all got up and went down to the creek, to Adobe Creek, and, and cut a uh, cottonwood log. And by the time they got it up, daylight was coming on. And, of course, they came out of the rising sun, uh, according to... Uh, uh, Billy Dixon, because he said that he was sleeping out by his wagon, and as he rose up out of his bedroll and reached down and picked up his rifle, he looked into the rising sun and he saw the finest fighting men of the Southwest, dressed in uh, reds and yellows and eagle feathers, coming right out of the sun. And I went out there one time on the 118th anniversary and stood and watched the sun come up because I wanted to see exactly where the what Indians came from. Yeah. And he said, I turned and I took one shot at them and then ran to the, to, uh, to the bar and they'd already locked the door and I was pounding on the doors and bullets were thudding into the, oh. into the sod around me and they finally opened the door and I fell inside. Wow. And then the Ooh. fighting began. And he said, and this is what it gets me, he said that um, uh, you would think that everybody would be, you know, fighting, but he said there were only three or four men shooting, the rest of them were puking. Really? Out of fear. Yeah, they were wow. over, over sick in a corner or just wouldn't shoot or handing him a gun and say, here, you're the best shot. <laughs> That's a cop So we've had, spineless bastards, we've had spineless <laughs> yeah. bastards a long time in yeah. this country. You're, yeah. you're a better shot than I yeah. am. Peek your head <laughs> up yeah, yeah. And t- to crack one off yeah, at I said the, 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 uh, the Indians were backing their horses against the door, trying to bash the door in. And, uh, see, they had been told by, I forgot the guy's name, is it's a ha or something like that. I'm not, I don't speak. Um, Comanche or Kiowa or anything. But anyway, he told them that uh, they uh, he had special magic and they would be immune to the, to the bullets, and obviously they were not. In fact, Quanta Parker was there, and, and I think he said something to the effect of the buffalo uh, hunters killed my warriors when we were in sight and out of sight. And the reason he said it, they were, they were what they thought was totally out of range, mm-hmm. and there was a high wind blowing that day. And they didn't even hear the shot, and it knocked one of their men off the horses. And what? so they. How far do those bu- buffalo guns shoot? The sharp is it a sharp? Sharp, yeah. How far do they shoot? Half mile. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I've used mine at a thousand yards. Uh, I mean, and you've got to top it out. I mean, you got to pull the backside all the way to the top in mm-hmm. order to hit it a thousand yards. But yeah, you know, you could elevate it like a like a uh, mortar, and Lord knows how far it'd go. But uh, but they were they were. A, a very effective weapon. And that's a 50 cal, right? Uh, there were 50 calibers. There were 50 70, 50 90s, 45 110s, and 44 90s. Uh, those were the p- most popular guns. The 4090 had not actually made a big appearance on the Texas range in time to be involved in the big kill. The 4090 came, became popular really on the northern range like in the early 1880s. Mm. Now, uh, Mike Gibson has found a 4090 or two. I've never found one. It seems like the most popular is a 4490. That that seems to be a more the most popular, and those were brought in by the Kansas boys. 
See, some of the first buffalo hunters into Texas were Kansas boys. Not Texas hunters, but they come out of Kansas. Mm-hmm. They'd already exterminated, pretty well exterminated the herds, at least where you could make a living by killing them, you know, by, by hunting. And then they crossed, they come out of Kansas into the Panhandle and work their way down toward Double Mountains because they speak a lot about Double Mountains being, being a, a site where there's a lot of killing going on. Uh, I think uh, John Cook spoke about uh, one of his excursions. He said, I believe it was in 1875 or 76, he said, I came around the base of Double Mountains, and, uh, and I could see the main herd, and the carcasses of the skinned buffalo shined in the sun like panes of glass. And that had been around present-day Aspermont. Yes. Wow. Yeah. As, as a, I, it's funny because when you think of this part of the country, like up in the pan, I've been all the way to, me and Andy been all the way to the Arctic Circle almost, mm-hmm. north of here. Mm-hmm. And we've drove it, and it's that's the area I think of rolling hills. And you know, yeah. when you get down here and you think all the mesquite stuff, well, there wasn't mesquites there, here then. There wasn't. They talk about mesquites, but most of it was dead because they said we would go through a, uh, a vast area of dead mesquites, probably killed by fire, by wildfire, mm-hmm. because nobody stopped fire back then. Right. You know, you had your lightning, and the Indians realized also that if you burn the range, come spring rains, if you burned in February, you're going to have great buffalo forage. Mm-hmm. I mean, they understood, and so uh, and so uh, Cook talked about uh, vast uh, uh, sections of land that uh, that had mesquite, but it was dead, old mesquite. They talked about juniper, but also it had been killed by fire. Right, and there was only trees around the creek bottoms, right? Mostly around the creek bottoms, where they could where uh, the fires would die out before they got they didn't have enough ground cover to burn. Burn that hot. Me and Andy were in North Dakota. Or me and Tony, I think, were in North, South Dakota, North Dakota, wherever it was. And we're driving through there, and I thought, because everything's named after an Indian up there. Yeah. Every town, every river, uh-huh. every creek. And I thought, these Indians are some tough bastards because there ain't no trees. Them They're suckers tough. were burning buffalo crap to survive in the wintertime. Tough boogers. Because, you know, Mint Montana, Plentywood, Montana, I'm assuming that's named because there was plenty yeah. of wood there to cut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there wasn't no wood nowhere in South Dakota or North Dakota, hardly. That's right. That's right. I just finished a, an excellent book, a great book. It's called The Common Chero Frontier. Uh, probably one of the more interesting reads that you, that you can make. Uh, and it talks about the Common Chero trade and them coming into Texas out of uh, Taos and mm-hmm. Santa Fe and along the, the Pecos, uh, the, Ado- uh, the Pueblos. And, um, and it really defines the toughness of the people during that era. How those uh, those uh, New Mexicans would gather up uh, cloth and uh, uh, and make metal arrowheads, uh, uh, lance points, coffee, sugar, and some lead and a little gunpowder. Later years, like in 1868, 69, before it was finally died out in 1869, basically, uh, they start bringing in whiskey in the end. But uh, those people were tough. And, uh, and they hunted with bows and arrows and lances, just like Comanches. And, uh, and to, to read all of this information that's gleaned from all the old writings from the 1800s, early 1800s, 1830s, oh, back to the 1700s, I'm telling you, this was some tough country. You had to be just Tough survive. people, tough country. Well, even sugar back then wasn't coming in a sack. I mean, you had to scrub it and scrape it to right. get any sugar off of it. Yeah. And, and the, the salt, you know, they, they, they brought coffee. Indians love coffee. The Comanches love coffee. Where'd they get and, it from? And the only, I don't know. 
and tobacco. They bring in, you know, several pound uh, uh, bales of tobacco, and they'd trade. And said the Comanches uh, would trade a whole buffalo robe for a handful of beads, and wow. maybe maybe a, a, a plug of tobacco or two. But where'd they get coffee then? If they like, I don't. The, the New Mexicans got it somewhere. I do not know. I wonder if it's present-day coffee like we have now or I, if it's something they called coffee. I, I do not know. Because coffee wouldn't grow until you got to southern New Mexico, would it? I do not know that. So I don't know shit about coffee except it comes from yeah. South America and Mexico. I don't even drink it. I don't know. That's You're crazy. a tea guy, That's right? right. That's right. I'm a green tea man. Green tea guy. Even where the hell they couldn't have tea either. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, an amazing read, but it's called Comanchero Frontier. I have to check that Comanchero out. Frontier, Commerce on the Prairies. Uh, by Josiah Gregg, um, um, and they actually have reprints of Kindle Expedition. There's two volumes, one and two. And I, this is something that's interesting. Falconer mentioned it, and it's in Kindle's notes as well. But up at Kittiquay, see that the Kiowas all spoke pretty well spoke Spanish, and there were some guys along on this uh, on this uh, Texas Santa Fe expedition. There's 300 of them; they could speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. And at one point, they got in a fight up there in a confrontation, and, and one of the Kiowas hollered out said something to the effect of, you don't know where you are and your leader's a fool. And one of the guys from the Kindle Expedition hollered back said, for a savage, you guess well. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were pretty well – they realized they were pretty well screwed up by the time they got to that, that Muchiquay Valley up there around Kittiquay. <laughs> now – Today's present day, there's no water in these rivers and stuff. Back then, they ran more because there was more groundwater in springs. I'm I'm guessing now these guys uh, they talk about not, just not having water. Um, that's pretty amazing because when they when they left like the Seymour area, you know there's some good springs around Seymour along the Brazos, some good potable water, and you get along uh, between Benjamin and Vera, there's some potable water just off the edge of the of the breaks there. It's the, that Badlands area, like on the old Burnett Ranch. Uh, I mean, I've been there. I've seen them. I've drank out of them. Mm-hmm. But apparently, those guys didn't venture down into those uh, those canyons very much, and they were really suffering for water by the time they reached their campsite at Benjamin on August 14th. But they found good water three and a half miles west of Benjamin at Weatherly Springs. That springs exists today. Where's that at, on? Whose ranch is that on? It's on a spike box. Where about that? Uh, you know where the big uh, the big tanks are as you go over Cedar Mountain to the west, and there's those big like storage yes. tanks. If there's down in the brush down there there's an old house and beyond that there's a the spring there's a dugout there and i've been to that spring i mean it's it's got water and uh, apparently good enough because they said they watered their uh, all of their mules and oxen enough for 300 men and fill their their canteens now there's springs right there behind the ho- the horseshoe tank too there's water yeah there but all you the got to understand those guys and see okay in 1854 the marcy expedition came up they and they they left uh, uh, a group of of whatever military guys around Seymour at a spring and he took like 13 men and he hit South Wichita and he was uh, exploring for a Comanche res- uh, the potential for a Comanche reservation he came up the Wichita River now imagine that you guys know that country came through the Wagner country through all that rough stuff through the Burnets, you know, through the Pattersons, through the Beavers, through the Spike Box. I mean, that's mean country. I mean, yeah. I've trapped all of that country, hunted it, and it is mean today. People that are listening to this is like being in Arizona in the it's around bad. Just and they scalded came, land. They came in July. 
They came in July. They came out of the uh, the Wichita breaks there at Panther Canyon on what is now what was the old Adams Ranch. And uh, and Marcy turned and looked back and he said this. He said we cast our eyes on a beautiful landscape, although very forbidding. Said it's so forbidding that even the Indians don't go there. But they're the only thing live uh, that lives there in abundance are the bears. And they turned and headed to Kiowa Peak because he talked about a symmetrical mountain in the distance, uh-huh. Buzzard Peak and Kiowa Peak. They passed within a mile of Weatherly Springs, and they were suffering for water yep. like crazy. Right. They just missed it by a mile. That's, and that's not, you know, whenever you talk about how far they traveled, you know, you're only off by about 50 feet from where you started. But when you get down the road, you've right. missed it. You've completely that's missed right. it. And, and, they, and see where... If you draw a line from Panther Canyon, the head of Panther Canyon, to Buzzard Peak, to Kiowa Peak, you are traveling in a, in a valley, more or less. And there's no way you could see over that hump in the, in the landscape to see any vegetation, probably hackberry trees that indicated water was right. at Weatherly Springs. Obviously, there were water because even today there's uh, old grapevines there. And so there was a lot of... You know, water, you're going to have some kind of hackberry, cottonwood, chinaberry. And so that land had such a rise in it, they could not see that a mile away they had a respite. Mm. And then they went from there to Kiowa Peak, and they talked about Croton Creek and mm-hmm. how terrible the water was. There's nothing good water nowhere in through there. No. And then they left there, and then they rejoined their men over in what is now Baylor County. Yeah. So what, hold on. So would they drink it and then decide oh, it's no good they and, drink then, it and, and then just spit it out? Yeah. They, they, uh, Kendall talks about uh, they made a three-day camp somewhere on uh, the old 4-6 country that's been sold. Uh, and Mike Gibson is pretty sure he knows where it is. It's a confluence of two creeks, actually Croton and then a confluence of another little tributary that's coming into it. And he talks about a spring there, and he said the water was cold and clear, but it was terrible uh, to taste but they stayed there for like two, three days what if that's where the salt dome is it's back in here that feeds into Truscott area and i don't know i don't know anything about the geology underneath the ground here <laughs> i know there's one back in there somewhere that's yeah. why i was asking well like where we set it right now we are half a mile from the brazos right here uh-huh. if you come up on your horse you can think oh there's a river there ain't nothing it's drinkable no about that no, water no, nasty no, but there's some darn good springs flows in into the brazos right but you could come up right here where this lodge is right now, and you can go out here and you can dig 13 foot down, and you can get all the nice good water you want. Right. And those poor people were on great water, on you know, wells. No walking over They're it. walking right over yeah. 13 foot above them. Yeah. What did we hit water at, Tony, here? Eight, nine foot? Huh? 14. At 14, 14 foot, we got water right here. Gracious, all so great water. And see, what's amazing is you go north of the Brazos, and it's a, that's a delineating line. We've got basically almost, you know, totally – Un, undrinkable water north of the Brazos, and you you guys have all good water at south yeah. of the Brazos. Yeah, it's right amazing. here, 14 foot, you can get 50, 60 gallons a minute. The line. Yep, it does. Well, I've got a well in my yard that's 40, like 42 feet deep, hand dug. It was there in the 20s. I saw an old photograph of Benjamin. There's a windmill on it, and it keeps my grass alive, but I wouldn't dare drink it. <laughs> I've tried, I've, I've tasted it, and it's like, hey, no way. We got water here at the lodge as well, water. Now we got a water line. They just put a new water line in, but we're not going to hook it up here. But we've got great water here, but you can hit it at 14 foot. Yeah. Drinkable, yeah. good, cold in the, water. In the 60s, uh, whenever I was uh, out on the, the ranch I was raised on there, and we used to work cattle on the south side of the river some on the old, what they call the Decker. 
there was a spring over there that was so incredibly strong that I would take a, a like a three-gallon uh, water can, a metal water can down there, and stick it under that spout, that, uh, that flush of water coming out, and within seconds it was full of good, cool, sweet water. And I've had, I've not been back there in years, but I've heard that it's uh, that it's just not now tr- basically a trickle. Yeah, most of them are nowadays. Yeah. Like, isn't that sad? Isn't it's it crazy sad. how good water tastes? Oh yeah. When you're so thirsty yes. and you've been at 110 degrees today, and you get that yeah. drink of cold water, and like you said, water, sweet yeah. water. Sweet just, water, man. Oh my yeah. goodness, there's nothing better. Now, yeah. in your book, the playas that you did mm-hmm. back when when you ninety five. Ninety five. You talk in that book. Did you do the writing in that? No, no, Jim Steyer. Okay. But in his writing, it talks about how the playas played a critical role in people moving from east to west because if they hit a wet year and the playas were full, Uh they had drinking water. Right. But if it was a dry year, they could die of thirst, and then they could have a thunderstorm overnight and could fill them up. When you read read the the books I was talking about, Commerce on the the Prairies and and the Comanchero Frontier, you will understand from the reading, those people were scared to death of the Texas Plains. If you got south of the Canadian, it was almost a death sentence. Wow. I mean, they, they called it the trackless prairie. And they said even their Indian guides or the Mexican guides, if they captured a Comanchero and said, you take us where the Comanches are hanging out, where you've been trading. We want to go to uh, Muchiquay Valley. We want to go to Kittiquay. We want to go see where you guys are trading. We want to get in there, and and uh, this is the military. Some of those guys get lost. Either they got lost, or they are they intentionally misled. But they, but two or three times they mentioned that even our guides could not lead us in yeah. the right direction. Um, the uh, Coronado expedition talks about when they came out of Blanco Canyon, like in what fifteen something, uh, in the what the sixteenth century, that. They got after a buffalo one day, and they stayed lost for like a day. They just come out of the canyon, chased a buffalo, and didn't know what direction they were going in. Right. And their Indian guides who finally got them out of there and took them back to New Mexico said at daybreak or at sunset, they would shoot arrows in the direction of the setting or the rising sun to get a direction. So the next so, day they could start right correctly. So even they, during the day, right. they would get. Right. Wow. Yes. You know, when you cross the Texas border into New Mexico, you ain't hitting no treasure cove when you walk across that border. No, That's no, some no. rough country That's right there until you country. hit the mountains. Yeah. But I'll tell you what's so interesting. You can go up by Bovina. Uh, when I was uh, back in the 90s, I believe, I was shooting on a project for either Parks Wildlife for Texas Highways, and uh, it was on the Comancheros. And, uh, and there was um, Eddie Guffey who was the director of the Yano Westacotta Museum there in Plainview. Great. Of course, he's deceased now, and as well as his wife, Patty. But great people, wonderful. They, they took me to all kinds of places. In fact, he's one of the guys, the main guys who discovered the Plainview Point. But anyway, he took me to a Comanchero trail that was still visible up near Bovina. And you could get up on an elevated spot, and especially in November, you could see the little cart, the cart trail of those Comancheros winding their way down to Blanco Canyon where they'd meet with the Comanches. But they used those waterways all the way from, they used Blackwater Draw that eventually led to Yellow House Canyon that, uh, and you could also branch off and go to uh, Muchiquay, which is over by Gale. 
or you could uh, branch off and go to uh, Kittyquay. But they used all these waterways out of New Mexico coming into Texas. Uh, Sierra Blanca Canyon up near Canyon, Texas. That was one of their main routes as well. Cocky, imagine being Indian living around Midland or Odessa in the summertime. <coughs> oh, my God. Mm. Uh, not me. So how would these people, would they, was it always they would give the Indians something to kind of gain their trust to start working with, or how would that relationship It's, it's funny. you got to hand it to the Comancheros. They, they were tough, uh, very brave souls. Yeah. <laughs> because they talk about... Trading with the Comanches, especially early, before one particular Comanche chief was uh, was finally uh, killed in a battle, very early, like, I forgot, early 1800s, they said that trading with the Comanches was real iffy deal mm-hmm. because they wanted your stuff. Mm-hmm. But once they got it, a couple of days later, they'd catch up with you and take all the rest of your stuff. Right, yeah. And they could do it. They were the... They were the, they were the the lords of the plains but there was one Cuerno Verde I believe uh, they call him Greenhorn because he wore a green horn coming out of the middle of his forehead they said he was totally ruthless but uh, the Mexican governor I believe it was him and some of the military finally sent a group in and they and they raided his village uh, in somewhere in Colorado and they killed him he said after that the Comanches respected the New Mexicans and they had a truce with them from then on. But where you really run into trouble was when you took them whiskey. Mm. I can believe that shit. They said they finally <laughs> they finally realized that they had to hide the whiskey before they got to the trading. Because they'd trade for a week or two. It, it might take them two or three months to get back to, to Taos or Santa Fe. So when they left, they wouldn't be back for a month or so, at least a month. Right. And so they would... They would, wouldn't tell them where the whiskey was. But when they got finished doing all the trading, they'd say, okay, by the way, there's some whiskey. But it's 10 miles over yonder. Then they'd just, they'd head west. Right. And then, of course, the, the Comanche would drink whiskey up. By the time they sobered up, the New Mexicans were back across into New Mexico and, and safe haven. We got an Indian that works for us, and he gets a whiskey in him. It's not good. So I know how yeah. bad that would be. Now, he talked about, about, you know, when you get a wild person like, like you know, the Indians were at that time. And you put whiskey in them, he said, then you doubled up from being wild. <laughs> yeah, you got a lot of problems on your hands. Yeah. That's yeah. It, and it's so crazy that every one of them's that way because, like Jeff said, the fellow we got working for us, just a little bit of whiskey, and yeah. you doubled up. And that's, that's unfortunate. I mean, just that's unfortunate. even long yeah. ago, they couldn't handle their Problems their, go real <laughs> quick, I'm telling you. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we get into the weeds real quick whenever yeah. the whiskey comes out. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> You got to keep that stuff uh, bottled up. I mean, I just, just like you said, how far we've come yeah. from our ancestors yes. is insane. Well, just uh, generation, just uh, from uh, us to our parents, mm-hmm. to my dad, who was born in 1918. Mm-hmm. And I was fortunate enough in my younger years, in my teen years, I worked with men that were born in 1884, 1889, 1894. I remember their birthdays, and I talked to those men. And I got, I heard the story about their lives and the things they did and the sacrifices they made. Mm. You don't make many people like that anymore. No, no you, you imagine a kid, I'm 51 years old, and mm-hmm. some kid talking to me, I'm born in 1968. Oh. There ain't nothing freaking interesting that happened to me in the 70s, really. <laughs> I mean, there's not. 
Compared not to, not really not no. like the sixties. You no. know, if you're born in fifty, I saw the sixties, man. That's something else. But but I mean, there's not nothing that no. You know, oh, well, our TV was black and white. Yeah, uh, still, it's a TV. Yeah, you know. But talk to someone that went through the World War Two era. Yeah, there's something happened there. Something and then happened. before that, World War One, and, and right. before there was a lot of history there. All, all we're doing now is just modernizing yeah. the shit we have. I think we're just waiting for the end now. I mean, I'm afraid you're probably right. I, I really, I'm, I'm afraid for my kiddos and grandkids that you're probably right. I hate to admit it, but I think so. I mean, things are just so easy now. Yeah. I mean, uh, people, the young people, uh, the millennials, not all of them, but a lot of them just can't appreciate sacrifice. Don't even know what takes. that is. They don't even know what it is. No. There's a safety net in everything they do. Yeah. And that used to not be that and, way. And you know... And I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm anything special at all, but but one of the things there's I remember when I was a kid I would go all day without any water in the summer, uh-huh. and I'd sometimes I do it on purpose because I would go okay, if the cavalry could do it, if the men in World War II could do it, I can do it, and I would make myself go without, just just to say I've done it. Right. And I don't know there are very many uh, younger people today that'll do it. Shut the air conditioning and Wi-Fi right. off it for yeah. a teenager, and it's I, like hell. I was 39 before I owned a vehicle with an air conditioner. <laughs> I was 39, but mainly because I was too tight <laughs> and broke all the time. But, but see, I remember the days when people didn't have air conditioners. That was yeah. an option on a car. I don't even think it's an yeah. option no more. No, what, no. What, do, what do they call it, the two set, 255s? Yeah. 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 Speed on the 55 back then. I remember that old Dodge pickup, 81 Dodge. I had going to uh, Wichita Falls to give a presentation one time. Had a white shirt on. It was middle of July. Mm-hmm. Wind was blowing out of the south about 25 miles an hour, and it was 100 degrees. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I got there, and I was just covered in sweat, just dripping with sweat. And coming back, I was so tired and sleepy, and that wind was blowing. It was miserable. Yeah. But, the little, you know, you did it. Remember the little triangle windows on them? Them things, oh, they, yeah. they pushed some air through there. Absolutely, yeah. I use those a lot. They don't yeah. even have those on cars now. No, no. 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 <laughs> Not even an option. <laughs> no, but those were, those were, those were lifesavers those back then, too. Those were a big help, yeah. yeah. You know, you've been to some of the most, you know, jaw-dropping and inspiring landmarks that this country has. Do you... Do you still get a feeling of like something significant happened here? Like when when you went to the place to see the sunrise of where the Indian yeah. attack was. I'll tell you another place. I'll tell you another place. Uh, what was it? September in '74 when McKenzie raided the uh, the the village there in Capelier Canyon. Mm-hmm. I was there one fall morning. No, one evening. Late one evening, looking down from an outcropping onto that where that village was there where cedar creek intercept uh, uh comes into uh prairie dog fork of the red right where the the canyon i mean where the where the indian camp was and it stretched for miles up and down the creek and it was fall of the year cottonwoods were golden beautiful gorgeous and i heard a rifle shot in the distance and i'm telling you, the hair on my on my neck stood up i thought my god you know it's I'm reliving right. the, the battle yeah. of 1874 when McKenzie raided that camp in the fall of that year. Insane. It, it, was, it was insane. It really was. And and you go, and you can't go there now. It's off limits. But at the time, I could go on a ranch that uh, that had some uh, uh, petroglyphs on it, and it had soldiers on horses. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you it was some of those Indians that fought in that battle. Mm-hmm. It was in that canyon. Mm-hmm. Not far from there, and there are these soldiers riding horses and guns and stuff. 
Dusty Bradley told me a story one time about their family ranch, Lee Smith Ranch, right over here, mm-hmm. and said they had an old timer that worked for him, had worked there for years, and they had a creek bottom, and the guy was getting cattle or something, and I think it was Dusty himself went through there, and he, sm- he something kind of whiff caught him or something. I don't remember what it was, but he looked over, <clears throat> and in the inside of that wall on that creek, there was a old skeleton there and had some feathers and old feathers and stuff uh-huh. on it had been stuck in there. And he said something to that Indian guy. He said, oh, did you see that? He said, yeah, it's been there for, you know, hmm. forever long. And I guess it was an old Indian burial. They buried Maybe. somebody there. Is there any old Indian burial grounds right here that you know of? Uh, yeah, there's the one uh, that's got a highlight on top of it uh, now. Uh, and it was discovered, I believe, in 1929. It's got a highlight on it. A highline. highline. Oh, goes across it? Line, yes. Oh, okay. Okay. And uh, 1929, I read the historical review on it. And it was, I don't know who discovered it, but it's on the Burnett, the old Burnett Ranch, which is... Uh, Bobby D's place? Uh, it's uh, Bruce Burnett's old place, okay. not Bobby D's, and, which is now Zesh's. And uh, I went up there on top uh, and looked that over back in the 60s, and you could still see where they dug up about six graves. And they were still there from 1929 when they excavated it. But I, I read the archaeological data, and it was like an archaic, probably 4,000 years old. You and there's, water. Uh, no, I'm good shape. Thank you. But um, and there's individual uh, grave sites that I've been to uh, that were found mostly back in the 50s, and you can still see the dug mark where they where they took the bodies out, the the, the bones. But uh, I don't know of any major burial site except for that one. And the reason they buried them there is that uh, that that's an old volcanic ash site. And there's about eight feet of volcanic ash. You can see the layer. And if you if you climb up there, uh, whenever you stir up the dust, you start coughing like crazy mm-hmm. because of the the ash gets in your you know your throat. Right. And I actually took some and showed it to a, a soils professor at Tech, and he said, "Oh yeah, it's volcanic ash." And then of course I've looked up the geological data on, it, and it is ash. Uh, and I took Chris, who's at the museum there at in Seymour. Took him out there, and he said, oh, yeah. He said, that's probably from the old Yellowstone blowout millions of years ago. From way up there. Yes. And I said, did that just wash in? He said, no, no. That came all at one time. <laughs> that knocked some stuff out. Well, you know, there's a volcano that's up by Raton, New Mexico, Yeah, too. but that's little. And that was a little one, though? That's just little. Okay. So if Yellowstone goes again. Oh, we're done anyway. We're, we're toast. We're toast. The whole United States. The, yeah. Probably the whole world would oh, be just yeah. about. It'll, 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 we'll have a winter for God knows how many years. And they say it's long overdue, like according to the yeah. records. It could happen everything. next year. It could happen 10,000 years from right. now. Or tonight. About it, you know. If it happens, it happens. It happens, it happens. Let me tell you something. The whole world's going to be awful hungry without the United States feeding them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's Good luck. true. I think I'd rather be. <clears throat> I think I'd rather be closer to the blast site and just you know and just get it just, over with. Yep. Get yeah. it over with. Still be like Vesuvius there in Pompeii. And go, oh God! <laughs> yep. Take me now. Just pull me out of here now. Between here and Lubbock, there's an old mesa there that's got old Texas flag on it, and they say there's old Texas Ranger buried there. You know what I'm talking about? Haystack uh, Ranch, maybe is that what that's haystack, called? Haystack, Haystack. Yeah, that. Uh, uh, on top of that ridge, yeah, is there is there a Texas Sam Ranger? Middleton, Sam Middleton's ranch now. Yeah. Is there really a Texas Ranger buried on I that top? I do not know that. I've always heard that flag, and that flag... That he is, took it down. He took the flag down. Yeah, I, I don't not. think there's a grave up there. Those those people wouldn't take a Ranger up there and bury it on top. I mean, that's a lot of work. Uh, generally, the old graves I've seen are down along creeks. Um, 
you know, down in, in areas away from the flood zone, but they're not going to take them. Only place I've seen grave sites is in Coila, Mexico, where they actually work like hell to get them up there. And they climbed one hell of a cliff to go take their dead into a cave. And I was in that cave, and, and their skeletal remains laying everywhere. And those are all archaic Indians, you know, back, you know, three, 4,000 years ago. Have you, have, have you been to uh, the place in California, I think in Colorado, I saw a picture of the Puebla. Where they have the um, all the the Indians live back in the the pueblos. Uh huh. What what's the name of that place? It's real fun. Mesa Verde. No, what the hell is that? Uh, Are you talking about the old ancient site? Yeah. What yeah, it, Mesa Verde? Mesa Verde. Have you yeah. been there before? Yes. And they've got the actual old village that's yes. still there. Yeah. That that to me would be a Very pretty interesting. interesting place to see that. Yeah. Uh, what's interesting to me about Mesa Verde in that era is you know why did suddenly it just just go? Mm-hmm. Why did they suddenly leave overnight? Almost overnight. It's like they just picked up and left. You think uh, something like hit the Mayans, like some uh, kind of sickness? Yeah, you know, it could have been drought. You know, they talk, you know, like 6,000 years ago, there was a 1,000-year drought. I mean, if you go to the museum Some there. Bitch. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you go to the museum there at, uh, at the Lubbock Lake site, huh? they talk about that drought in the Paleo era. And that's one of the reasons there's so much uh, uh, archaeological and paleontological evidence at the, at the Lubbock Lake site. Uh, is because of that thousand-year drought, like I think it was six thousand years ago. See, that's why I think climate change is is bullshit. Yes, I mean it, it really to me is. It is. I'm not. A, I'm not a <coughs> climate. I'm, I'm not a atmospheric scientist, but I just there's always been change. There's always going to be change. You know? There's cycles. I mean, you there's can call cycles. it climate change because it's, it's changing all right. the time. Yeah, but it's it's cyclical. It happens. Exactly. What you know, in, in what 1885, there was a huge drought. Yeah. And then in 1886 or 87, there was an incredible winter that drove cattle to the Pecos all the way from Colorado and killed thousands and thousands of cattle. Then you had your drought of the 30s. You had mm-hmm. the drought of the 50s. You had the drought of the 70s. We had, we had the winter when it was so cold in 1982. You know, terrible cold. And then incredible, we had this summer like two years later where it was hotter than hell right, for a long time. You, right. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's up and down. It's sickly. Yeah. No, that was- I, I just, I just, I think that, We've got a, a large enough, you know, thing that we can research to know that it's just it's bullshit. It sucks when you're on one end of the thing. Right. I'm not going to deny that. It sucks right. when you're on the end of a drought or yeah. flooding or whatever. Yeah. But it's just Mother Nature, she always finds that balance. That's right. There, I, I believe that. There was a, I do. They used to have a festival in London, mm-hmm. and it was a ice festival or some shit. I don't know they had a name for it. But in the seventeen mid-1700s, you could they had ice skating and it was on the right the, what, what's the river that's there in england uh i'm not sure whatever whatever hell it is the thames thames river and it was iced over and they had it on the river well then 50 years later it wasn't froze up no more uh-huh. and then in 1850 it was froze up again uh-huh. and now it's not froze up again so it's it shows that times change back and right. forth all the time but they yeah. don't ever want to see that i mean today i'd say it's hot as hell you know how, yeah. did, I, how did i stand it back when i was a kid I'm 68 years old versus 16. Yep. You know, it seems it seems hotter than I've ever seen it, but it's not because I remember 2011 when it was 114 every day. You got acclimated to it when you was a kid, though, because you didn't exactly. have air conditioning in the didn't house. Didn't have air conditioning. I remember whenever we first got our first refrigerated air conditioner, my dad and my brother and I moved outside because it was too cold in the house. <laughs> and we slept all summer outside on I, an army cots. I still don't know how you made it in the jail. With no air either. conditioning, I don't either. 
And you you said you would you that would spray the bed tough, sheets down, wouldn't you? That was badass stuff there. Now <laughs> I, I was up in the jail the other day, and it was so blasted hot up there. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. We'd take uh, we'd open the windows at night and turn a, f- a box fan around backwards to pull the night air in, mm-hmm. and then you'd take a Windex bottle full of water and you'd take a shower and not dry off, and you'd <laughs> wet the bed down and lay down and turn the fan on and squirt the fan until you can go to sleep and then wake up at two o'clock and do it again. <laughs> I just I mm. can't imagine. Yeah. Did Winter, it for 18 could, years. Because it doesn't get right this time of year. The it's low horrible. is 80 degrees. It's horrible. It's 80 degrees. Well, the other day, our, our air conditioning went out at, in our house. It got up to 92 degrees. In, in the house? In my house. <laughs> Thank God for uh, the guys at uh, Seymour there. Carlington Brown. Carlington Brown. They came right over. Did did you did your wife chewing your ass at all on the deal? Because usually when shit happens in our house, it's my fault. <laughs> no, she uh, she understands. Crap happens. Mine doesn't still. I mean, yeah. if something breaks around there, it's my fault. <laughs> no. Like I work on that. Like I invented the air conditioner yeah. and made it. You know. Yeah. Why is it out? Well, I don't know. I'm not air conditioning. No, Selinda, guy. Selinda probably knows more about it than I do. I, to be honest, you know, she's she's got lots lots of the, that kind of sense about her. You know. She's, no. My, my poor neighbor lady, she's old. She's 83, I Estelle, think. Estelle, you know her. Estelle uh-huh. Skiles, yeah. Uh-huh. She uh, she came, she called me, and she said, Andy, are you – I guess she had seen me pull up. She's like, Andy, I hate to bother – she's the sweetest lady ever. I hate to bother you, um, but my air conditioning is not working. And I'm like, oh, goodness, you know, it's, it's hot. Went over there, and all it was was the batteries. But she had been cooking – in that place, it was up to about 88, 90 degrees yeah. when I got over there. And all, all the thermostat needed was new batteries. Yeah. But sh- she had been baking over there for oh a day goodness. and a half. Bless her heart. And I'm like, Estelle, it, it, you know, I'm just a phone call away. Like, yeah. I'm not, I can't, if it had been something major, I couldn't have yeah. fixed you, but I could have at least, you yeah. could have come over to my house yeah. until we got it fixed. But she had turned the fan on for the cat. <laughs> of all the things that she's worried yeah. about, she's got a, a stray yeah. cat Bless that she flee, that she feeds. Yeah. She's like, he's just that poor cat over there. He's just sweating and panting and <laughs> turns the fat, a fan on the cat. And I'm like, yeah. She's got well, raccoons coming in her back door because of the cat food. Yeah. yeah well, I end that deal with the right quick. Her cats don't use a litter box. They go outside in the middle of the night. So yeah. she's got a pet door. Yeah. And raccoons are coming in. She's had. I in the got, house? In the house. I'd like, end that right quick. She yep. sleeps in the living room so that she can wake up when they come in the doggy door and shoo them, <laughs> shoo them back out. That wouldn't work. No, she, they're the most destructive animal in the world. That's right. I do not like raccoons. They're worse than inner city Democrats, I'm telling you right <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and a, and a bear is just a gigantic raccoon. Yes. <laughs> Did you see the the picture in California of the guy that shot the grizzly bear in his house? Sucker had claws on him about eight about inches that. long. I didn't see but it. But he said, "This is why we don't give up our guns," and and he said, "Because it took more bullets than my pistol could take to kill that bear." And it came in his house. It was in his house when he got. I guess he got home, he and got that home. bear was oh, okay. Yeah, was there and. Luckily, wow. he had his. Yeah. I know some people. I own a house at Aspen or Vale, one of the two. Whatever the, the Vale's the more exclusive place, I think. I guess. I They're know. in Vale, and so, uh, anyways, middle of the night, la- ladies went to this place. All the, the lady did. She had all of her friends from Fort Worth. They flipped in their private jet. And they're in the house, and a bear broke into the house. Lady went to go get something out of the refrigerator, and there was a freaking bear in there. So they're like, "Oh, I heard, I heard." They had to call that. the cops, yeah, to come and dispose of this bear in this house. Yeah, well, I mean, you don't think about stuff like that, but that'd be a damn good time to have an AR in the house. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, mean, I know when I was in the Yukon in 87, uh, everything, once you got away, especially once you got back into the, into the woods, into the rough country, every cabin had, uh, it looked like a prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the doors had uh, iron bar, bars on them. The windows had iron, iron bars. And uh, you just, they said, grizzlies, they're going to get in. Yeah. You've just, uh, you know, you got to watch for them all the time. So how does Wyman Menzer fix what we've got going on with uh, gun violence? Um, boldly show your arms all the time. Have your that's, guns in full view. Yeah. If you're in a place that's questionable, uh, at least let people realize that you're armed. Yeah. So they won't fool with you. Carry yourself in a manner that, that – like, for instance, I went to New York one time, and, and a guy told me, he said – don't walk around like a tourist. Right. Don't look up. Right. Don't gawk. Look straight ahead like a predator. Mm-hmm. And they won't bother you. And uh, you're just going to have to practice that about everywhere now, I guess. It's just, I just. It's, 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 it's terrible. It's a, ter- it's terrible. It's a, it's a no-win situation. I don't understand. I don't think Mr. Mr. Trump can do any, Mr. President Trump can do anything that's going to appease no, no. both sides. No, he, he can't. And, um. I just don't understand. It's a mental thing. It's it's a mental issue with these with these mass killers. Mm-hmm. Nobody in their right mind is going to pull that kind of crap. No, there there's there's got to be a in, mental instability issue here, and and you can't unless you have neighbors, someone that calls it. Hey, this guy's got a problem. That guy in Lubbock, you heard about that, yes, didn't you? Yes, yes. Uh, you know this guy's got an issue, and you got you might come check on. Well, go check on him. Right. And that kind of thing, but people just standing back. Well, I'm not not going to get involved. Mm-hmm. That's not going to. That's it. that's what our problem is, though. Is people don't want to get involved. Right. I, I mean, agree. you can have shit I happen, agree. and people get their phone out and video it, but they don't want to help. Right. And, and give you an example: if you're driving down the road going back home tonight, and there's a highway patrolman and he's wrestling around with somebody <clears> in the ditch, you're going to stop, and you're going to help. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to do the same thing. Yeah. But you go to a big city, and them some bitches are going to go. Oh, they'll film it until they find a YouTube. country boy there. That's got some kahunas that'll stop and try to help somebody. Exactly. Now I might get killed trying to help somebody, but I'm going to help. Yeah. When, I when agree. I, when we were in Boston, we we were in Salem actually. We, were st- we our place stayed there and it had a little stoop on it. Mm-hmm. And I'd sit in there and Michelle was taking pictures of. Oh, matter of fact, your name comes up on all of our vacations. Yeah. Because it's take a picture. Of I say, gosh damn it. <laughs> I call her Wyman all the time. Damn it, Wyman, <laughs> put the freaking camera down. I'm serious. I hate taking pictures because yeah. she's got to go through all of them all the yeah, time to make sure they're good enough. So. Yeah. And and I'm not lying to you. I see, I use the word Wyman thousand times <laughs> when we were in the Northeast. Okay. So, anyways, we're sitting on the stoop and she's playing Wyman down there, taking yeah. pictures of these 1600 houses built in the early 1600s, and people are coming down the street. I'm from Texas, so what am I going to do? I'm going to speak to them. Hey, how you doing? Them some bitches. I'm they, telling they you what, what they'd look up at me and I and I'd make them speak. We talk about football. We talk about the weather. Yeah. Just visit mm-hmm. because that's the way I am. I talk they, to people, but they those people don't understand. Don't, no, don't understand. They that. were completely lost. Yeah, and then you say God yeah. bless you to somebody up there. Mm. Oh, oh, they think you're crazy, and I don't yeah. get that. But you know what? You know this is what's funny. Uh, you'll you'll hear this in the when you read the um, um, Comanchero Frontier. They talk about the Texans and and the personality, and the Texans basically set an example with the Comancheros. There was a rancher and some of his buddies went over there and they kicked some tail. <laughs> and uh, they, they probably hung some people. 
Um, I, I think I recall some passes in there where they might have hung a couple of guys and even shot a couple of guys. But they let them know, if you come over there and you steal our cattle, mm-hmm. like, for instance, they'd come into, into a common chero camp and there'd be 800 head of cattle. And they'd take those guys prisoners, cut out, you know, 600 head, said, these are ours. And say, if we catch you down in Texas, we're going to kill you. And they'd leave. And they'd go to the next group, take some more cattle out. These are, these are our brand. These were stolen by Comanches. You guys have them. They're ours. Mm-hmm. And they said a big example. I can't remember the guy's name, but it specifically said those that group of Texans set an example that the Comancheros never forgot. We're, we're a different breed of people. There's no doubt. We have people that listen yeah. to us from all over, and most of them are like-minded. Yeah. But they're not all Texans. Mm-hmm. But when you go somewhere, and, and I don't notice it as much because I'm from Texas, but if we're in a resort in Mexico or wherever we're at, People never have to ask, are you from Texas? They know. They, and they Texans know. stick out to other Texans. Yeah. Like, you can kind of tell, yeah, oh, hey, yeah. he's, he's from Texas. Yeah, but, exactly. But people notice that. I mean, you'll be somewhere, and they'll be, you're from Texas, aren't you? Mm-hmm. You know, me and Michelle were on a tour bus up there, and a guy said something. He goes, you're from Texas, aren't you? And I said, <laughs> yeah. And he, and he knew. But they, <laughs> yeah. but they knew about it. Yeah. And, I mean, but that is everybody knows yeah. somebody is from Texas because the way we I'm act. proud of it. Yeah, very proud of it. But we're also very friendly. Yes. My guides from up north used to make fun of the guy in the white truck that waved here all the time. Yeah. There's that guy in the white truck that waves all the time. Everybody's got a white Chevy out here, yeah. and he's always waving. Yeah. Well, that's just because we always wave at people. Sure. I wave at a mailbox sometimes, just, not just, paying just attention. One, uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, trucks, you know, guys I know will never wave. Uh-huh. And, I, and I'll tell you what I take note of is I'm always, of course, Selinda always tells me, you're driving too slow, you're driving too slow. Well, I used to get tickets from Brian Williams. And Danny all the time. I mean, I, I could do a catalog with my with my speed tickets. <laughs> so now I'm just the opposite. I drive 60, 65 just because I'm just not as much in a hurry. You're not in a hurry to get And anywhere. so I pull over all the time. Mm-hmm. So I said, you know, speed up. You know, these people are going. But I watch those people who thank me. Yeah. For pulling over. Yeah. Always do this. And I pre- are they are they the hit are they hit their hit their, their brakes their brakes? Yep. And say much obliged, and I'll I'll give them this back. I'll give yep. a wave back. Yep. Say you bet. Yep. I tell you, you talk about Brian and Danny, two ex-highway patrol guys. Yeah. Those are the guys. Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino could be one of them guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some young guy's going to be tough and going to whoop somebody's ass. Uh-huh. Them old men right there will hurt you. <laughs> That's right. I heard That's a story right. about uh, Brian one time. Gentleman in town got pulled over. He was he works in the oil field, and he was in a hurry. Had an alarm go off. Uh-huh. Middle of the night storm's coming. Brian pulls him over. Yeah. And uh, – Guy gives him the story like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, I got these alarms going off. I got to check all these wells. He's like, oh, no problem. I'll write this ticket in a hurry. <laughs> he, that's that's right. what he told him. He did, me, right. he did me that way at the airport one time, come picking you up from school. Really? And he come up, hey, Jeff, what's going on? I said, man, I'm in a hurry. Andy's fixing you out of school. He goes, okay, I'll write this real fast. Exactly <laughs> what he told me. Exact same thing. <laughs> exactly. He wrote that sucker out real fast. I told Michelle, I said, shit. <laughs> There at the very no end, sympathy. But there at the very end, before they retired, they finally let up on me, and their their excuse was, you know, you're so easy <laughs> that we're just gonna let you slide now. <laughs> I never got a ticket from Danny. He let me off three or four times, but yeah. Brian wrote me a couple of tickets. But he did. That's what he said to me. Yeah. The same thing he did that guy. I'll well, I'll write it real fast. I'll yeah. write this in a hurry. Like, Shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one day I was I was uh, driving along and I didn't have a seatbelt on, and my my. Uh, uh, way of, of trying to hide the fact that I didn't, I'd reach over and wave like this, mm-hmm. like I'm, <laughs> across my chest. Right across your shoulder. And a couple of days later, uh, I, think, I believe it was Danny 
I believe it was Danny walked up and he said, I'd like to know something. I said, what's that? He said, what's this little wave right here? <laughs> and I went, oh, God, man, you read me. He said, good grief, that's so easy. <laughs> what do you think about that law? I, I think if, if somebody don't want to wear a seatbelt, you know, God love them. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's, that's you know, you're, you're invading people's. That's kind of how let, I let feel people about have it. good, you know, right. use common sense. Right. I mean, it's a, listen. I think they should put their kids in it. Sure. But an adult, you know, if you want to wear it, fine. If you don't, fine. See, I would disagree with you guys on this. I mean, I agree. Listen, yeah. if somebody, if somebody, one of your, you know, your your age, even my age, if you don't want to wear a seatbelt, don't wear a seatbelt. I've seen too many lives saved by them. Yeah, oh, but I, agree. I mean, I, mean it, I, I I can see that. I can see that. But you know, it's it's our choice. Sure. Right. It's our choice. But like I say, the kids need to have seatbelts. Hundred percent. You know the risk that you're taking if you don't wear a seatbelt. But if you don't want to wear the seatbelt, knowing the risk, right. you don't have to wear it. Also, it's I think you should wear a helmet in a motorcycle too. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Me too. I, when I was riding a motorcycle, I didn't like wearing a helmet. But I think you should. From a from a judge, I'm a yeah. judge too, so I see yeah. things from different yeah. sides. But I, I think yeah. you should have this to wear is, a helmet. This is Texas, man. If I you don't want to wear that. a helmet, don't wear a helmet. I, I think you should wear a helmet. Let your hair flow. I think, honestly, and I know you said you didn't wear a helmet, I think yeah. if you get on a motorcycle and you don't wear a helmet, you're a fool these days. Probably. Well, I wouldn't even ride a motorcycle today. Number one, because of the hogs and the deer. Yes. Yeah. And then number two, people just don't see you. I have had yeah. way too many friends we've buried in the last five to ten years on motorcycles uh-huh. that I'm going to say 75% of them wouldn't even their fault they got killed. Yeah. Tell them about Keith. <laughs> I got a friend of mine. It's Tony's friend. This guy's not a friend of mine. I know him. <laughs> it's Tony's friend. Anyways, he was coming back from Munster Fest one night uh-huh. in in Munster, Texas, German Fest. I don't know. Yep. It's probably in March or April. And we were we were in college, and that's before cell phones and shit. So we we see Keith there. And we're like, hey, we're gonna go to this bar. We'd go to Wichita Falls. Ten o'clock tonight. Be at my house. We're all gonna go. Okay, okay, okay. Well, ten o'clock, ten fifteen. He don't show up. Fuck him. We're going. Uh-huh. I ain't waiting around. If you don't want to go with us, that's fine. We get the bar. Well, about two days later, we see somebody, and they're like, have you seen Keith lately since his accident? What are you talking about? He was coming back from German Fest, and he's on this crotch rocket. Oh, man. And he goes to pass a car about time that car passed a car, and it ran him off the road, and he went through a five-strand barbed wire fence. Oh, my Lord. So he he, he got there, and it broke both both lower and upper arms, Uh both arms, bones Uh in both arms. And he he walks up to the road, and he can't pick his arms up to take his helmet off. He sat there for a minute, and nobody stopped him. He just collapsed. We broke both of his arms. And oh still. My and he's lucky. But anyways, oh. the good part couldn't take was, his helmet off. Couldn't take his helmet off. So we, I call and check on him. He's a friend of mine. I'm concerned. I call and check on him. Talk to his mom. He's living his mom's. <laughs> still asked, living with his <laughs> mom. <by the> way. <laughs> so I he's asked fifty him, and still living with his. He's parents. still there now. He is. He's still <laughs> he now. Left. So I asked him. I said. Uh, so we we go pick him up. and We take him out that night. And I'm like Keith. I mean he's he's both arms. I mean are bent. He can't move at all. I'm like Keith. I said. How long you been living? How long you been staying at your mom since you got to the hospital? Oh, the whole time. I said, "Well, how are you taking a bath?" You shut up. <laughs> I go. Is your mom having to give you a bath? You shut up. Shut up. <laughs> oh, we had so much fun with his little ass over that deal. But yeah, bro, bro, bottom line, yeah. but he was wearing a helmet, and that probably yeah. saved his life. Yeah. Well, but, like Dave Thompson, you know, down there in the hill yep. country, when that deer, mm-hmm. he never saw it. Yep. Never saw it coming. He was just bam, sidewalling. I. I I've never. Terrible. My dad was a fireman, so I grew up hearing about how horrible motorcycle wrecks were mm-hmm. and stuff, and murder cycle this and that. So I was always scared of them. I don't want mm-hmm. my kids to have them. And I've had a lot of friends of mine that have gotten killed recently on them. Yeah. And I just, but I think you should wear a helmet at all times. 
If I was in a city, I would definitely wear a helmet. But out here, if I was in the open plains, I knew in the daytime, not not at night, yeah. because I guarantee I wouldn't ride a motorcycle no. at night. But in the daytime, in the open stretch of highway, I wouldn't. I wouldn't wear a helmet. Those guys, I just like to feel the wind. Those guys in the big city, like it'll be bumper to bumper traffic, oh, yeah. and they'll come in between lanes yeah, and I've just blow past you. Yeah, they're flying in the wind. I don't understand. And it. they'll end up being a statistic one I day. Mean, I just, just a I, matter I, of time. I, I don't understand yeah. it. I saw a motorcycle get hit one time in Tomball, Texas. I was there shooting a story for Texas Highways on uh, Saturday Night Opry's, and I, uh, it was like like at a you know a pack and sack store waiting for a buddy to stop in that was going to help me, kind of be an aide. And all of a sudden, I look up, and this, this big motorcycle, like a 1200 Honda or whatever, pulls out, and somebody T-bones him, boy, bam, right in the side. And just, I mean, that motorcycle just spins across the highway, and that guy just rolls. So we run over there and kind of pull him out of the way, and then we get the motorcycle up and push, push it out of the way. And then we call the ambulance, and they mm-hmm. come and picks him up. I don't know what happened to him. I had, a, I had a guy on Seymour Highway in Wichita was in front of me, probably, I don't know, Two telephone poles in front of me, on big old Harley. He's in the second lane, and I'm behind him. And all of a sudden, I see this just shit flying everywhere. And here he is in the middle of the air. And someone had pulled out in front of him, and he was probably going 35 or 40 miles an hour. But he was lucky he hit the front of the car, so he vaulted over it. Over the hood. Now, he probably didn't feel so happy at the time. (laughs) But that son of a bitch was, was telephone pole high in the air. I mean, Good and I pulled up behind him. Car people don't stop for shit no more. Yeah, and I pulled up behind him, hit my blinkers, and blocked. Where if someone was gonna hit him, they'd hit my truck. Yeah. and I run up there to the guy, and he's trying to get up. And I put my arm on his shoulder, and I was like, "Buddy," I said, "You sit down." I said, "I, I got nine one one. I'm on the phone with nine one one until I'm at." And I touched his shoulder, and I could push it all the way in. There was nothing there. Oh. And he was like screaming, "Ah!" And he's trying. I said, "Just get up." And the ambulance got there, and the firemen were there within. You know, Wichita Falls is good. There's somebody there in two minutes. Yeah. Fire trucks were there, and they got him stabilized. And I gave him my information, left. But he called me like. Six months after that, and he thanked me for go. I'd given my card to the officer, mm-hmm. and he said, "My attorney may call you about this. I'm gonna blah blah blah." So that's no problem at all. And the guy hit and ran too. Really, the guy left, but they ended up catching him. Somebody chased him down. Somebody saw him leaving. Wow. But anyways, they uh, I guess he got his big cell. I never heard from him again. I knew yeah. the guy too. He was a couple years older than me. Yeah. But wow. why did I reach down and touched him on his shoulder, and yeah. it just pushed? It was just like mush. I was oh, like, that's... he was screaming, yeah. and I and I felt bad. Yeah. But I was worried about him hurting his neck. Yeah. Right. But he was very, very, very lucky. He's lucky he didn't get rolled in front of a cart. He didn't go the other way exactly. at 35 or 50 miles an hour or yeah. some shit. Yeah. But I just, I'm scared to death of motorcycles. Oh, Tony, Tony's daughter rolled a ATV there day on Highway 6. Oh, man, those, that's, that'll kill you. Yep. They've had a couple of people got killed between Benjamin and Kroll in the last couple of years on them things. Really? On some deer leases. Yep. Two time, we've had two of them that I know of. People, and, and it's always the same thing. It's during dove season. It's 10 o'clock at night. People have been drinking and riding around mm-hmm. all night, yeah. and they do something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw one flip on the Canadian one day. I was coming out from shooting on Texas Rivers book in the late 90s, and uh, got a brand-new big, I don't know, Polaris or Honda, but it was, it was a big machine. And I was coming down the road, and, of course, that, there's a big uh, 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 ATV area there, and he, he just – went up on the slope and he that thing just reared up and just wham just just rolled and i stopped and i said are you okay and i think he was terribly embarrassed and yeah. took the coffee's buddy said, no we got it we got it <laughs> said, okay i saw a cowboy Bye. i saw a cowboy fall off a horse one time yeah. he was riding he was showing off 
Oh, that's trucks. It's me and a couple that's of girls and another buddy of mine with some girls riding around outside of Wichita Falls. Yeah. This guy's on this horse, and boy, he's getting after it. Boy, he just, yeah, 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 slapping it. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, I see his horse, and you don't see that guy. <laughs> You see him rolling up there. We went to him. His old glasses were broken too and hanging down here. He's all cut up and bleeding. You okay? Oh, Kathy. His old tongue was bleeding. I was like, You need us to take you somewhere? No, I'm okay. And he was trying to catch his horse. I thought, Boy, some bitch. He showed off and he was embarrassed. But I know he was hurt bad. Yeah. God almighty. It doesn't It doesn't pay to show off. No. It no. really doesn't. You know, just be you. you know? yeah. That's my problem. I've done too much showing off in my life. Usually <laughs> you end up looking like an ass. So you photographed a highway. How do you, what do you, is that? Lighting is it all lighting? What? Is, how do you do that? Uh, on a, you talking about a, just a highway? Yeah, you said you were a, a couple back. You said you were waiting for a gentleman. You were going to photograph a highway. Oh no, no, I was, I was photographing um, Saturday Saturday night Opry's. But I did shoot uh, Highway sixty six, Route sixty six for highways on a story. And uh, again, it's lighting. That's I all just, it is. I just uh, I got a long stretch toward Channing, <coughs> uh, not Channing, but uh, Vega. Did you do just Texas 66? Just, just Texas 66 uh, from the Oklahoma border all the way to New Mexico. And, uh, and I had a guy that uh, he's deceased now, but he had a, a museum, uh, not in Vega, but uh, what's the next town? Bushland? Might have been Bushland. Somewhere in the, it, it wasn't really a town. It was like a truck stop type situation. But he had a Route 66 uh, museum. And so I had him there standing in the middle of the highway right at sunset, mm-hmm. real pretty light on him. And he's holding a Route 66 sign. And I got up the back pickup and shot down on him with a wide-angle lens. That just sort of the highway just stretched into the distance behind him. You know, you know, you just use lenses to, to create you right. know, uh, a different look. That was a great time in our country. Americana at its finest mm-hmm. was the 50s when Route 66, I'm assuming, were, the, were I agree. all kinds of places. Have you been to Quartz Mountain in, in Altus, Oklahoma, North Altus? No. no They've not. got a little area there that is still reminiscent of that that era. They've got the old uh, miniature golf stuff. They've got uh-huh. old arcade there. And and you can tell that in 1955, that was a happening place. People were coming up there and doing mm-hmm. family vacations, pull up with the station wagon, yeah. and all the kids get out and the coolers and the food. Yeah. And we don't see that. People today know. Everybody gets on the interstate, and they want to drive 85 miles oh, an yeah. hour. They don't see the back roads no more. No, no more. And Route 66, now a lot of it's interstate in that area, but from Clinton, Oklahoma to – to Vega at one time was all through every little town. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, uh, when I was shooting that that particular story, there's an old gentleman. I think he runs the museum in McLean, and he had an old truck with all the pots and pans and the and the wash tubs. And I got a shot of him with a long lens to where the country is just rolling like mm-hmm. this. You know, it compresses distance, and that truck is coming over one of those rises. It's a pretty cool shot. It was a neat time in our country. He was. And a neat area. And all those towns are dead now, just about. Yeah, they are. We were somewhere where the Route 66 is. It's Elk City, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. They still pick a big play on it. Well, you know, in Amarillo, they've got a stretch there that's uh, kind of a Route 66 uh, uh, memorabilia. Mm-hmm. Kind of a, just a, several blocks. You can go, and there's stores in that you go in. It's got all the paraphernalia in there. Is there anything there. on your list that you want to shoot in Texas, or have you pretty much knocked it all out of the park oh man you know you're always you know i i've been to a lot of places but i know that i can even do better under certain circumstances and so and so i don't mind going back to different to places i've been right over the past 30 or 40 years because i'm thinking maybe i can get something a little bit better 
do you ever look at old photographs and think, man, if I could just get oh, that yeah. moment just one more time, yeah. I could do this oh, so much better. Oh, gosh, I do it all the time. All the time. I look at stuff back that took in the, in the 80s mm-hmm. when I really didn't understand. You know, I was, I was making that transition from wildlife photography to landscape right. and to people and to cultures right. and stuff. And you go, man, if I'd have just known what I know now, I could have knocked that thing out so good, <laughs> so well. You know, but there's one shot I, I could never, I could never improve on, and that's that aerial shot of the Canadian right up on the Texas uh, New Mexico border, and uh, and it was that the first shoot on the Texas Rivers book, and which took me three years to do. And a buddy and I flew up in his chopper and landed on this uh, the Canadian River Ranch, and it had been raining for like three or four days, raining about. Oh, six or seven inches, and that Canadian was on a rise. And we landed in an old Pastori village, where an old Pastori back in the 18th, in the 19th century village, you could see the, the foundation of the houses where the sheep herders out of New Mexico would come and live. We landed there, and the sun broke out right at sunset, and it was just black clouds in the east. Mm-hmm. And I said, Man, we got to go. <laughs> we jumped in that chopper through the door over in some brush, and I got in the back and lashed myself in. And he took off, and we lifted up above that Canadian, and, and, and all the cottonwoods were turning gold. And that, that uh, Canadian was red, full bank to bank, and it made a big sinewy curve, and then big red bluffs. They don't make them any better than that. That picture is absolutely out of this world. Is that the best picture you've ever taken? No, no, not really. It's, you know, it's, a, it's a great aerial shot. You know, that's one of my great, that I consider one of my really top aerial images. And I still remember the, the exposure is 125th of a second at 2.8 with Velvia one, uh, a 50 ISO film. And that's something you said on the fly. Yeah, yeah. I just. Yeah, but, I, but I remember it because I was thinking, I was thinking I've got the issue of the, the vibration from the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it went to, even at, with a wide angle lens, and it was shot with a, 70, a 17 to 35 millimeter f2.8 lens and i remember thinking i've got to to be careful because of the vibration of this chopper and i shot and shot and it's film and i mm-hmm. mean i shot the hell out of it and uh and nailed it how many Great times you, how many times you ever drop a piece out of a helicopter or somewhere i've never dropped anything out of a out of an aircraft have you ever lost a lens somewhere dropped it and went bye-bye oh i've yeah well i've when i was shooting that route 66 story the last image i took uh, I jumped off the pickup and hung my foot oh, shit. and slammed the, the camera and the lens into the pavement and just broke the front of the camera off. Oh, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> the photo shoots over. A guy grabbed me and said, you all right? And I said, I'm, a, I'm all right, but this camera's not. <laughs> oh, I looked at it and it just made me sick. A Wyman that I'm married to, uh-huh. we was at South Padre, and we were eating at Louie's Backyard, and there's a place you can feed the fish and shit. Yeah. And so she's changing lenses on her camera. And I'll never forget this. Pain was probably twelve or fourteen. He's like, "Mom, mom, don't you're going to drop the camera and it's going to and it's going to roll in that water." And we're from we're we're eight foot from the edge. I'm like, "Pain, get off your mom's ass. She's fine. She knows yeah. what she's doing." Kaboom! She drops the <laughs> lens. She was switching the lens off, and that some bitch hit and bounced three times, choom, 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 and rolled right into the water. Kaboom! Right into the water. <laughs> and he looked at her, and I said, "Yep, he told you." Yeah. <laughs> I did that in Coelho, Mexico, one time in the Carmen Mountain with a Hasselblad lens. Uh, we're talking about a two thousand dollar lens. Oof. Oh, yeah. And, but as it hit the water, I grabbed it uh-huh. and jerked it back up, and just started just and just 
just whacking it like the, you know in the air popping it uh-huh. mm-hmm. and getting all the water out of it and it never affected it that's crazy but i grabbed it Got just it as it instantly. went in the water but i was changing off i was putting a taking a i believe a uh 80 off and putting a 50 on or something like that and and whichever one i was taking off fell out of my hand and hit the bank and we're all right in that, that creek and it's running water and I, oh god man not the Hasselblad lens not that size <laughs> lens, that. please are, are you are you would you go to mexico and shoot right now along the river no I'd, I'd go in the, on the Texas side, but not the Mexican side. No, no, side. that's why I saw Mexican side. No, no, People don't realize how bad that is. I, I spent five years over there in the Carmen Mountains shooting. Where's the I Carmen went, Mountains? That's right across from the Big Bend, actually from Boquillas. That's about 50 miles in. Uh, you're pretty well in the heart of the, of the Carmen Mountains when you're about – when you cross the river at Boquillas and go 50 miles straight east – you turn left and you're into the Carmens. Are they big mountains? Yeah, nine ninety six hundred feet. Wow. Yeah. Go up to Aspen. You go from uh, desert habitat. I mean, we're talking about Chihuahua, true Chihuahua desert habitat, up to Aspen. And that's that's fifty miles from the Texas border. Yeah. People don't realize what makes Mexico's a cool place. It's a shame it's in this just place the way it is. was is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, you would you could leave the headquarters. And in 30 minutes, you would think you were in northern New Mexico. Wow. Big pine trees, mm-hmm. big bear scrapes on the pine trees with their rare up and scrape down the trees, black bears. Amazing country. They have elk there, too? Uh, they had to introduce them. They've been killed out. If they were in there, they had killed them out. They had to introduce the desert bighorn back because they had been killed out as well, as well as the desert mule deer. They had to reintroduce those. They had been killed out by the... Uh, I forgot what they call them. There's a, Spa- uh, a Spanish name for the people that they displaced out of the cities and gave them 160 acres just to get them out of the cities. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, they stick them out there in the desert, and they, you're going to starve to death. Well, what are you right. going to do? You're going to kill everything you can just to eat, just survive. And so they pretty well wiped out all the uh, desert bighorn and the, uh, uh, the desert muleys. And so they had to reintroduce all those back in. See, people don't realize about Mexico, about the big mountains and stuff. Yeah. That's why those drug cartels are hard to find because they find places like that that's yeah. tough, tough country. You could you can go up in there and you come into to lumbering, uh, uh, lumber camps where they used to haul lumber out of those mountains, for, uh, cut those, have the big sawmills and stuff. I mean, we're talking about big timber here, and you'll be you'll be uh, climbing down through a bunch of uh, pine trees and oaks, and all of a sudden you come out onto a precipice in a canyon that will blow your ever-loving mind. Yeah. And that's just right across from the Texas border. How far is Monterey from there? Oh, that's quite a ways. Now, they were big mountains, sure. too, though, right? Oh, well, that's uh, that's the, uh, what is it, the uh, Sierra Madres. Yeah. It, Sierra Madres. Yeah, those are big dudes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another big mountain chain that's down there, though. I'm not sure. All I know is the Sierra Madres are big. Yeah. In fact, they up until, like, the early 60s, there were a grizzly down there. Still in Mexico. Yeah, up till so I think the last sighting was in the early '60s. My bucket list of places to go. It went town. I would like to go, and I wouldn't go now because I'd be scared. If I would love to go to Mexico City, I've been to Mexico City twice, and uh, it's a filthy place. That's what I've filthy? heard. Filthy, filthy. I, I want to see the architecture. Absolutely filthy. Yeah, I was there on my senior uh, trip in high school. We went to Mexico City, and then from there, hired two guides, took us to Acapulco. 
and we drove to Acapulco. And you drove to Acapulco from Mexico City. Yes. Well, you wouldn't turn no high school kids doing that shit nowadays. Well, we had two two Mexican guides. I wouldn't care if you took the Mexican army <laughs> no, to do that nowadays. No. And we'd stop in silver mining towns, the little towns. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. That would be interesting to me. Uh, uh, kids standing on the side of the road holding iguana lizards, trying to sell them. Yeah, this is in '69. Uh, so that would 69. be interesting to see all that. It would have. It, well, it was back then. I wouldn't do it no, now. No, nowadays no, it's cartels no, have taken get you, cut your head off. Yeah, yeah. I like um, muskies. I say, in order to, if you're going to drive from Del Rio to the Carmen, you have to go through muskies, and man, that's mm-mm, that's no man's land. Mm. It's not good country. What a shame. I, I, I remember one day coming back, and it's like a five-hour drive from the Carmens to Del Rio. I remember coming back. Of course, they've got a military uh, checkpoint there, and you stop. But we were driving down the road with a person from the, the uh, El Carmen group, and there was this teenage girl wearing panties and bra walking down the highway in the middle of nowhere. And I go, really? Yeah. What's going on here? And they said, uh, you don't stop. Could be a setup. <sighs> this just a teenage girl with bra and panties, little bikini panties walking. Oh. I'm going, whoa. Was a setup, probably. That probably was. Mm. Out there in the middle of the desert. There was nothing. God. She tried to wave y'all down or anything? Or no, just, she just walked with her head, walking. looking down. Just looking down. Maybe she was on that, what's that called? The walk of shame? Walk of shame. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad day right there. Yeah, but, I, you know, it was, um, I enjoyed going down into the Carmens. I enjoyed being around the people, uh, uh, all the people there on the, uh, uh, on that that station, the El Carmen station there. They were really good people, the, the Hispanic guys, all friendly. And um, uh, Billy Pat McKinney and his wife, you know, they were the one that hosted us. They used to work for Protection Parks and Wildlife. In fact, he's still down there, but I think he's going to retire here before long. I tell you what, um uh have you been to Cancun area, Playa del Carmen? Uh, Cancun, no. That area right there is, is absolutely some of the prettiest country in the world. Beautiful water, yeah. limestone everywhere. Yeah. To the city of Tulum, or the Tulum where they've got the old, uh, what, you, what you call it, the, not relics, but the old. Mayan ruins? Mayan ru- ruins. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the Mayan ruins and yeah. stuff, and Chichen Itza and stuff. Yeah. And, and just. Yeah, they had some of those out of Mexico City because we drove out and saw some of those old those old ruins, those old temples. And just boy, but yeah. boy, that that coast right there at Cancun area back yeah. to Tulum is just beautiful yeah. all the way to Belize. Yeah, and just beautiful country yeah. and just ruined. Yeah, yeah, that's that's sad. That's sad. Uh, I guess the last time I was way down in Mexico was uh, what's that resort town on the west coast? Uh, Puerto Vallarta, Cabo. Nope. No, try again. Acapulco, Mazatlan. 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 Uh, we went down there, and I shot a story for uh, Field and Stream mm-hmm. in Lake Salto. And Mike Stewart, his brother. Oh, that was a big bass fishing trip. A big bass fishing trip, and, uh, and it was in Mazatlan, and that was, that was pretty cool. The two old men that were on that trip uh-huh. hunted with me. Oh, yeah? Because they told me they met the Stewarts while they were down there. Okay. And the old guy was an attorney out of Dallas. Yeah. God Almighty, they were. It was old, but they were on that trip that you were on. Wow! Because he 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 knew the Stewarts. Yeah. And okay. Danny Danny told Danny, me that, yeah. that to know these guys, and they introduced me to them, and they were old, old, old. I mean, yeah, old. I don't, back I don't then. remember them. I mean, we ate with some other guys at night because we fished as our group, and of course, all I did was shot pictures. In fact, the 
the Mexican guides called me uh, Muchos Fotos. Muchos Fotos. <laughs> and I took, uh, I think, 2,000 images in like three days. How many did you keep? How uh, many They were used maybe a dozen in the magazine. Yeah. How big a bass they catching? 10, 12 pounders? No. Uh, biggest bass, probably six, maybe seven. Water maybe, re- maybe. Was the water real clear? Very clear. They catch a lot of fish, though? They caught, yeah, they caught some, but not any really big, big fish. Uh, what what I was fascinated with was uh, the town of Salto being covered up by water. You know, you'd be fishing over a cemetery, and you'd look down, and it'd be the, you know, the... Uh, Virgin Mary? Virgin Mary, you know, yeah. like this. Mm-hmm. It'd be six feet under the water. And it was on <coughs> down into the depths where the base was. Mm-hmm. And then I then I I got bored one day and asked I told him I said I'm gonna get out and walk around in the street. This it was like a ghost town. There was nobody there. It was like no, gone. Now so, okay, you were how deep was the water? Was uh, it's probably 15 feet deep right there. And then you went to and it come up to dry land. It come up dry land, and then the town of course had been inundated by water, but it had gone down. So I just walking around in the streets. That it would be interesting. Eerie. Maybe eerie a bit. Yeah. And it really was eerie whenever a dadgum two bees found me. Two killer African bees. They found me. <laughs> Chasing your ass around, huh? They just they just started going around and around me. And I knew from experience in the past, don't swat at them. Uh-huh. So I just turned and walked away. Well, they left me alone after I got a certain distance. Well, then when, uh, when I got back to the boat, well, Mike wanted to go walking around. And so the, the guide and Mike and, and I went back up there and we went in an old church walked by this building same building here come those same two bees ones. and they started around mike <laughs> don't swat mike, mike just went oh damn just went swatting man they hit him right in the ear ah and that mexican guy said no 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 don't, don't. i said mike don't swat man let's get out of here and we took off went back to the lake and it's don't swat the bee because once they they put out that pheromone and you're it that's it yeah they're they're chasing your ass somebody so the old church what was it like <clears throat> Uh, it was, uh, it was just an old church had a, uh, a lead for, uh, uh, figure of Jesus Christ that was laying down up on this altar. It's made out of pure lead. Imagine what something like that is worth yeah. to people. Cause you know, some people at relic hunters and women are trying to take all that stuff. Yeah. That is, that is really neat. I know Lake Guerrero, they have a, a church that. That you, people go to, I guess, it, when the water goes down, people actually go to it and oh, drop yeah, off. Oh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, there's some guys, was it Guerrera? Yeah, they got, got killed. Killed down there? Yeah. yeah, I wouldn't go out there for anything. No, on the jet ski with uh-huh. his wife by the uh-huh. drug cartel. Pulled up and got him? Shot him. Yeah. I don't know if he was buying. Ain't, yeah. You know how that kind of disappeared? I'm wondering if maybe he wasn't doing something he wasn't supposed I, to be doing. I wonder that as well. Because that all just got swept under the rug where uh-huh. it was but uh yeah at Lake Guerrero but that which is right across from Laredo or Del Rio which one's that on that's uh it's going to be down below no, she, Laredo she I wasn't think. on Guerrero they were uh, on Falcon it's Zapata Falcon Falcon Fa- Lake that, is at Zapata yeah they were on Falcon yes and Falcon. went over to Mexico side yes. yeah Guerrero's down in Mexico right. yeah yeah it's, it was Falcon Lake but at Guerrero I think there's an old church it maybe might be Falcon Lake that has an old church that's that flooded up and you can go to the actual church there and it's right on the edge of the water yes yes I've heard that. That's interesting stuff, boy. It is. Well, I mean, I know we've kept you longer than you've gotten wanted to do, oh, but I, I love I, chatting I, with you. We want to have I, you on again. I, I appreciate you guys. You have so many stories. Why our local schools have not tapped into this resource, I have no idea. <laughs> but you would be a great person to teach a history class if it well, was just for a, for yeah. two or three days a month just to come in there and talk to kids because kids need to learn yeah. the knowledge you have in your head. All of our listeners are like, 
when's Wyman coming? It gets uh, to about that six month because we had you on in uh, March, I guess. Yeah, gets to about that six month yeah. mark, and everybody's like, "Where's Wyman at? <laughs> it's time for Wyman again." I, I appreciate everybody and the way they feel toward my stories. Everybody, everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. Might be Wyman. See there, no. it's time for you to go. Probably Celinda saying, "Hey, where are you?" <laughs> But yeah, everybody loves well, you, Wyman. You guys, and, uh, I, it's you guys are easy to visit with. I appreciate y'all. Well, we love the stories, and we got more and more. I had a whole list of stuff I wanted to talk about. We'll have to do it next time. But okay, <laughs> just keep <laughs> the list. Every uh, no, no, Matt, we always get off on something that's so interesting. Sure, the Indians this time. I mean, sure. that's. I still want to know. So the Indians went with migrated with the buffalo. Yes, to, and that, and that's how they survived. Yes. Ooh. And and it and again again this uh, uh, Comanchero frontier will give you. The chronology of when the Comanches actually came onto the plains, mm-hmm. and when the horse was incorporated into the Indian culture, as well as the Comanchero culture, very interesting read and and extremely well written. This guy is he did his research really well. Sorry, Commerce David. on the Prairie by Josiah Gregg. Check it Comanchero, out. Comanchero, uh, Comanchero Frontier. Good reads. Were the Plains Indians? They weren't violent people. Most of them were they. Ah, uh, they were violent with each other. Uh, see, the Comanches initially they were pretty friendly with uh, with with Texans and stuff. It's just they they finally got uh, pissed off because we were taking know, their shit, taking their stuff. I mean, <laughs> who wouldn't? Right. I mean, yeah, yeah, really. Right. Somebody came toward my house. I'm going to move out here in New York. Yeah. No, you're not. Nope. Yeah. I understand why they did. Of yeah, course, yeah. of course. You know, it's just and and. Uh, uh, they 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 wanted to trade. They yeah. loved trade. The the Comanches, the Ki- the Kiowas were pretty tough. See, the Kiowas and Comanches actually battled each other for a while until they finally realized they need to kind of get all their stuff together and go against the guys who really mattered. Right. And uh, and they finally uh, kind of made a coalition there and, and fought together. But the Kiowas, this book pretty well specifies and and outlines the fact that. The Comanches were willing to trade, but Kiowas were pretty tough. You had to really watch the Kiowas. More than the Comanches. More so than the Comanches. They're getting uh, along still today because they got a casino that's about a quarter mile <laughs> apart, and I ain't seen them fighting yet yeah. over it. Yeah. So they were gamblers and traders hey, back in the day. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, those, those people really loved to trade. Well, they didn't I, and, have and, shit and, to and, trade until the white men well, came. And if it wasn't for the women, I mean, the guys killed the buffalo, but who – who tanned the hides? Oh right. yeah, we screwed yeah. up a good system there. I mean, there. They, they, they would <laughs> trade one. I mean, can you? I mean, I've skinned buffalo. I know what it takes to skin a buffalo. I've never tanned one, thank God. But it must be tough. But uh, they would trade one buffalo hide for a handful of beads and, and a little bit of cloth. You you think hmm. that the Hudson Bay Company changed a lot of the history of our country because of them coming on board, buying all the Indian pelts and stuff? Oh, I'm sure. I mean, uh, you know, the beaver trade. I mean, they they that was that was huge in the 1820s. And that's uh, when the Hudson Bay was big, right? And there's a book called The Beaver Men. The Beaver Men, and that's that's a good book. It's a li- and it really kind of gives a funny. Uh, they go into the to the French influence, and that, that was big time. The French influenced the beaver trade big. Then I've been up to Grand Marais, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and that was one of the big mm-hmm. stopping points. I guess Detroit and Grand yeah. Marais, and other, and that's interesting how they would get all them pelts, yes. send them back, and get all the way back to St. Lawrence River to get them up to get them to towards Montreal, yeah. 
to put them on a boat to go across. They would talk about the big uh, gatherings each year, the big trapper rendezvous. rendezvous. Yep. And they said that people would sit at these uh, these locations and they would start reporting, hollering, runners saying they're coming, they're coming, and those guys coming against the current with those bales of beaver fur, mm-hmm. and they said, "Come nightfall." Now you know this was when it was tough in the twenties. It got real tough when the old beaver trappers rolled into town. Oh, yeah. They said, come nightfall, everybody locked up because all night there were certain guys, they were Frenchmen, I think, and there was a certain name for them, but they would strip off naked and run through the streets <laughs> drunk. Goodness. Yes. Yes. Hey, we didn't, in, we didn't invent uh, streaking. No. <laughs> you, I'm assuming you've seen the movie Mountain Men. With Brian mm, Keith, yes, and great movie, I yes, think. Yes, yes, and it shows all that stuff—the rendezvous yes. and the guy living with the ma- female mountain lion, supposedly was his yeah. wife and stuff. Yeah. You know the old stories. Yeah, Th- that was a different breed of cat, also. Different, different, very people. tough, tough, tough guys. people, tough people. Well, anyways, well, I'm gonna let you get here. Thank you so much. Tell everybody plug where they can get a hold of your stuff. You bet. Wyomingminister uh, and uh, also remember, we're now my wife and I are into real estate. So there if you, you need to sell anything, there you go. Want to buy something? Give us a holler. Uh, my number is 940-256-8932, and Celinda's is 806-392-5396. Don't just text them random shit. Like, have a have a random, have a a random good listing or something you want. Don't just text them your photo and tell them to judge it. Yeah. yeah Might be please. dangerous giving your phone number out <laughs> yeah. on some of this crowd. I wouldn't have done hey, that. Hey, look at this picture. <laughs> no, I don't want to see any pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well... There's going to be 5,000 people listening to this next week, and every one of them is going to be like, you're going to be like, son of a bitch, I wish you wish they get my number <laughs> no. out. Don't, don't message them if you don't have land to buy or sell. Yes. Uh, Wyman, I appreciate you. Everybody loves you. Well, I appreciate you guys. You making varmint calls yet? Uh, yeah, I've got, I got a bunch of them made. I need to buy one of them for yeah. me. I want one for my collection of stuff. All right, y'all. Thank y'all for listening. God bless y'all. Be safe and have a great week. Thanks, guys.